Hello, everyone, and welcome to Millennial Rewind, where we take a not-so-sentimental look at the movies and TV shows that were around when millennials were growing up. I'm your host, Nick, coming to you from the 20-somethings pretending to be teenagers capital of the world, Los Angeles, California. And once again, Jules will not be joining us. His rap career is progressing quite nicely now. He's actually recording his debut album, Enter the Jules Tang. But joining me is my other co-host. He joins us from the disembodied bowed corpse hanging from a tree of southern california the inland empire it is john john how you doing today huh kind of the same as last time just another day in the inland empire that's right we're going around and punching reporters in the face oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is the alabama of southern california <laughs> fontucky baby but before we get started, if you like what you hear today, please do us a favor and hit that subscribe button. Also, be sure to share the show with anyone you think might like to listen as well. This time we watched Scream, the original 1996 slasher satire film. Uh, I got the new one coming out because that which is dead will never die. <laughs> and John, how would you tell someone you watched Scream without using the title? Headphone warning. Ah, well, you definitely didn't clip there, and my tinnitus just got infinitely fucking worse. I leaned back, too. <laughs> yeah, I leaned back with my headphones on as if that would help. <laughs> she did. That was hilarious. If I'm not as close to the screen, it won't affect me. I'm going by resident evil little girl behind the camera rules. Which, by the way, I just have to mention right now, in Resident Evil, it was undead. But in this, it's actual living people. So you see, this is an even more intellectual movie. <laughs> by the logic of that reviewer, yes. <laughs> Oh, God, that review is just burned in my brain. I'm never going to be able to forget it. Nick, if you were given the opportunity by the producers of this film, what else might you have used for a title? Okay, so I have three options here. Two for the producers and one that's just for me. Uh, the two for the producers, I have Ghostface in the Shell and three simple rules for slaying my teenage daughter. I think they would have gone with the second one. Ghost in the Shell, while popular, there was no way it was widespread enough at the time. And the one that's near and dear to you? Uh, yeah, so this is um, this is contemporary to me and to my recent experiences with the film. Uh, scream at how bad Pluto TV is. Holy <laughs> fucking shit. I started watching this on Pluto, and at the second unskippable commercial break, I went and rented it off of Amazon. <laughs> I went and bought it. I just, as oh, a giant shit. fuck you, I dropped the $15 it cost to buy it on Google Play because I was so fucking fed up with Pluto TV. Holy shit, the ads are often and too many. Fuck Pluto TV. Fuck it to death. Hopefully, Ghostface will stab you soon. Anyways. <laughs> With that rant out of the way, John, uh, what was your experience with Scream growing up? Well, I was in high school at this point, but we weren't quite old enough to see it in the theaters on our own, so we did have to wait for home release. It was really big. Everyone loved it. There was a lot of stuff we didn't quite get, you know, because it's, I mean, meta wasn't a term, but, you know, film within a film and all of the references that were there. We hadn't, of course, seen that many. Even then, as high schoolers, we got what they were going for, a horror movie about horror movies, and it uses the cliches, points them out, and still uses a lot of them just in a different way where it makes sense. Same sort of stuff I was saying about She's All That back then and those 
crappy high school movies. It's it's very self-aware. It is very self-aware, so much so that it's aware of its own director. <laughs> And his body of work. We'll definitely get into that. Uh, Directed by legendary horror director Wes Craven. Didn't write it, but directed it. And he references A Nightmare on Elm Street early and often. So I watched this as well. So I was in high school, obviously didn't watch it when it came out because I was still very much a single digits child. I don't think my parents <laughs> would have let me see this had they even been aware of it. But it was, of course, even in South Africa, a classic horror film. Everybody saw it. Everybody knew it. When Scary Movie came out, obviously the references there were appreciated. But I saw Scary Movie before I saw Scream. Oh, wow. So yeah. did this have like the airplane zero hour effect to you? It has been so long since I've seen Airplane. Okay, well, there was this super serious movie called Zero Hour that came out long before. Black and white film, totally straightforward, in which former military pilot Ted Stryker has PTSD and because of the crew and many passengers getting sick on a commercial flight has to go and land it. They basically pulled that script and added jokes. Like, the name is the same. There are complete sections of dialogue that are the same. It is so similar. Their lawyer said, you know what? This will fall under parody. You're cool. But they bought the rights to Zero Hour anyway, just to be safe. Just in case. Wow. Yeah. You ever been in the cockpit before? A hospital. Doctor, what is it? And you know airplanes so good, your mind is filling in the jokes, even though they're not present here. The only major change I could think of is in airplane, you have the two guys and like one of them's sick and it's like, oh, I speak jive. In Zero Hour, it's a drunk Irishman. That's like they, they just fantastic. updated that for the times, basically. <laughs> I haven't seen Scary Movie in a long time. Having now seen Scream, it would be good for me to go rewatch it just because it's probably on that same level. So yeah, I I, I watched it in high school, watched it in boarding school. My friends were probably like, oh, fuck, you haven't seen Scream? Unacceptable. We're going to rent it from the video store. We're going to watch it. Disappointing! <laughs> yes, it was very disappointing to them. It brought out your friend's inner Sorbo. <laughs> like Kevin Sorbo from... Yeah. Disappointing! <laughs> Oh boy, his <laughs> latest career has been uh, interesting. Uh, that was from back during Hercules, though. So anyway, uh, but yeah, so watched it, and this was when I was still a colossal, colossal scaredy cat about horror films. I was going through my desensitization process, and I I saw this. I remember being scared by it. I remember not sleeping well for like a week or so because I was just scared of it. I had not watched any of the movies. It was referenced. I did not appreciate any of the satire at all, though I didn't get any of the references. I was just like, oh, I've got to stop them. You definitely need to have at least a, a passing baseline understanding of American horror films, especially the slasher genre, to really appreciate this movie. Which I have now. So during my most recent watchings, I have appreciated it much more. I've also been reading a book about the era in which those movies came about. Uh, listener and John, if you haven't read it yet, there's a book called Shock value, which kind of talks about the transition from old horror, which is, you know, Frankenstein and vampires and those sorts of things to new horror, which was, you know, pretty much kicked off by The Last House on the Left, which was, you know, Wes Craven's first horror film. And subsequently, you know, Rosemary's Baby, Halloween, The Exorcist, all those films kind of embodied this new way of doing genre, which was a lot more gory and violent and sexual and all of that. And it was kind of intertwined with the new Hollywood. 
Hollywood, which was kickstarted by Bonnie and Clyde. And it was this younger generation of filmmakers wanting to get beyond the stodgy old ways of how the old studio system was doing things. And so they kind of went hand in hand. And so it's really interesting because this is Wes Craven, who kind of started off the new horror directing this film, which is a love letter to that horror that he helped develop. Yeah, I mean, in the way you could look at a satire, but it's it's not making fun of it. It's calling out the tropes and everything, but much more of an homage sort of way. It's definitely done with love. Yeah, definitely a love letter to the genre. Yeah, it's meta, like the guy who pioneered the genre, writing the love letter to the genre that explicitly calls out his work. Because clearly A Nightmare on Elm Street exists in this movie world, so Wes Craven exists in his own movie world, technically. But he also appears in the movie in a Freddy sweater. Yeah, there's there's definitely <laughs> a weird Wes Craven metaverse going on here. And this movie has a crazy good cast. Yeah, a lot of them up and coming at the time. I think we can go ahead and say Drew Barrymore because it starts with her. Like, she was the big name of this movie at the time. But she also kind of needed this movie. It, like, yeah, was it was a bit f- of a bump. It was sort of like the beginning of a comeback for her. Charlie's Angels happened after, you know, not so something about Mary, but like Wedding Singer with, um, you know, Adam Sandler and stuff. It was sort of part of her renaissance, but she was the known. Courtney Cox had done a little bit of Friends, so she was just on the rise, but hadn't really had that movie breakout yet. She hadn't had the movie breakout yet, and she had to fight for this role, apparently, because, you know, she was the nice girl on Friends, and she's like, no, I want to play a total bitch. I want to play this character. And they're like, no, everybody thinks you're, you know, the nice character from Friends. And she's like, yeah, say, to an actor, it's that's the reason I want to do this yeah yeah i don't want to be typecast uh it has matthew lillard who we're also a big fan of playing basically the exact same character he plays and she's all that he was definitely typecast, and just about the same as he was in hackers and yeah i mean he's goofy he's but also an asshole and yeah just wildly entertaining we learn who skeet ulrich is <laughs> By watching this movie, if anybody who's familiar with our (laughs) Sopranos episode, we didn't know who he was, whether he was referenced, but now we know. Yeah, I mentioned in that that uh, Sopranos kind of dated itself because of someone being so excited they got to sit near Skeet Ulrich. And we had this whole conversation of, I know he was big in the mid-90s. I don't know who he is. I don't know anything he was in. And now that seeing this, I can't really apologize because if we talked about this before watching it, I could name Nev Campbell and Matthew Lillard and Drew Barrymore and Courtney Cox and David Arquette and Jamie Kennedy and if you said who's Nev Campbell's boyfriend I'm like well it's Billy uh this is the (laughs) shit he does in the movie but I couldn't tell you his name but it's Skeet Ulrich yeah just a few quick things to kind of make up for the negligence of before he was in another movie I remember called the Newton Boys one of those based on a true story movies about a family of bank robbers these brothers he shares the poster and main credits with Matthew McConaughey Ethan Hawke and Vincent D'Onofrio I mean this guy was there he had made it. You know, the same what year as Scream, he was also in The Craft with uh, Nev Campbell. Right, with Nev Campbell. And because of that, that's why they brought him along because they're like, oh, well, they've already got this familiarity with each other and that's going to help create a much more natural relationship dynamic between them. This movie, again, it was such a cultural phenomenon. It spawned an entire franchise of spoof films. Yeah. It gave Anna Ferris a career. <laughs> Which she deserves, but she had to do some really uh, questionable stuff in the scary movie franchise to get there. It also spawned the very... Just the blank movie 
And just that yes. that whole spoof thing where instead of like a Mel Brooks thing where Blazing Saddles, he's kind of spoofing Westerns as a whole. Robin Hood, just there's a whole history to that. These were the ones where whatever's been popular like in the past three years. So superhero right. movie, epic movie, just all of those. And they all suck except for a couple of the scary movies. Not all of them. And not another teen movie. It's still crass as hell, but damn, it works. All potential candidates for the podcast, for sure. Yeah, but we've already got this and she's all that. So you've basically got (laughs) a scary movie and not another teen movie. Right. There's definitely some things that are very particular and iconic in those movies. So we should, you know. We should consider it. John is shaking his head. Well, while John continues to shake his head, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to start breaking down Scream. Hello? Hello, Drew Barrymore. Do you like scary movies? Who is this? Don't worry about that. No, you're a strange man calling me up in the middle of the night asking me about my movie preferences. I'm going to worry about that. Hey, is that popcorn? I mean, it's like you're cooking on a stove, but microwave bag at the same time. It's called Jiffy Pop, and I'm hanging up, Creep, okay? Don't call here again. If you hang up, I'll fucking kill you. Uh, excuse you? What did you just say to me? I said, if you hang up that phone, I'll cut you like a goddamn fish. What was that sound? That was the Mossberg 500 pump action shotgun loaded with dragon's breath incendiary shells, bitch. Uh... Yeah, this is real California. We have got a bunch of guns. Do you have a gun, Mr. Guy on the phone? I have a really big knife. So you don't have a gun? No. Hey, aren't incendiary shells illegal in California? Yeah, that's not going to matter to you after I let you the fuck up. Ooh, is that you hiding in the bushes? Uh, no, I'm I'm by the fence. I'm definitely not in the bushes. Yeah, that's you. Ooh, that robe looks super flammable. <laughs> yeah, burnt like a little bitch. Oh man, my popcorn burned. Ugh, I'll just make a new one. <laughs> <laughs> And we're back. Uh, John's I'm not shaking, shaking my head. head. I'm not ready. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And action. And we're back. <laughs> and we're going to start off with the most 90s opening title in the history of anything. My note here is, is this movie going to ask me if I would steal a car? <laughs> That hasn't quite happened yet. <laughs> I know this this hasn't quite happened yet, but I'm pretty sure that this is the font they stole when they were making that ad campaign. <laughs> For anybody who doesn't know what we're talking about, there was this anti-piracy ad campaign in like the early 2000s, like, you wouldn't steal a car. You wouldn't steal a handbag. You wouldn't steal a movie. Piracy is theft. And it's just like, fuck you, we're going to Napster anyway. And even that, since we're already talking about spoofs, was spoofed brilliantly in the IT crowd. If Jules was here, he could recite the entire thing because it starts the exact same way. And then it's like, you wouldn't shoot a policeman and steal his helmet and send it to his widow. <laughs> like it just goes insane. <laughs> the most ridiculous fucking ad campaign. But yeah, the opening title of Scream looks like that font. So we open up onto Drew Barrymore in a blonde wig. <laughs> picking up the phone 
And man, this movie is going to be a nostalgia trip of technology that we no longer use, such as the wireless home phone. We're just going to start off in the opening shot. And there's a guy on the phone. He wants to know who he's talking to, asks who she is. And she's like, yeah, you got the wrong number. Hangs up. Dude calls her back and says, look, I really want to talk to you. And she's like, hey, they got 900 numbers for that. (laughs) The very first part of this uh, scene is a bit too cheesy. You know, it's more cheesy than I remember. And I just kept wondering why she didn't get angry sooner. Because she just keeps having this nice, light, almost flirty conversation with a total stranger. Yeah, it's really weird. And by the way, this is, when you think of Scream, you think of this opening scene. Like, this is the iconic scene from this movie, is this opening with Drew Barrymore. Now, weirdly, I remember this voice being a lot raspier. And maybe that's a product of the sequels and just the many, many spoofs and references that have happened later. I think it's the spoofs, because I think they consistently use the same guy for the voice. Yeah, it's the same guy for the whole series. That's what I was going to get to, actually. Because, yeah. You know, later in the movie, it's revealed they're using a voice changer, but they actually got a voice actor to do this. And even though IMDb says this is what he's most known for, I disagree. And I think he is better known as Mojo Jojo. He did Mojo Jojo. Mojo Jojo. That is my favorite fact ever. See? Mojo Jojo from the Powerpuff Girls. Yes. I think his credit in this is phone voice. <laughs> yeah, he is later credited as as Ghostface. Oh, okay. So in later movies, he gets his due. But yeah, so it's it's a guy. He's on the phone. He's talking. Keeps getting hanged up on. She puts some popcorn on the stove and. What the fuck? This is such an American thing. I've never seen this kind of popcorn outside of America. It's Jiffy Pop. That brand is basically the only kind anyone knows that is this way. You have your microwavable bags, and then you have make your own popcorn. This comes in its own pan with foil on the top that you know yeah. expands, and apparently like when the top fully expands or, or whatever, that means it's done, basically. But yeah, Jiffy Pop is totally a thing. I've never myself had it. Yeah, I I make my own popcorn. So that's why, you know, and then the phone rings again and she asks for her name. And so instead of hanging up being like, okay, there's clearly a creep. She like keeps talking to him, as we mentioned. Again, I I don't get why she's not getting upset by this, but she is at least being smart and not giving out her name. But she's doing it in kind of like a teasy, why you want to know my name sort of way. So it's Mm -hmm. irritating. Yeah. She's apparently going to be watching a scary movie on video. Continue with the parade of technology we no longer use. And man, as somebody who grew up in an extremely paranoid household, this was triggering. Paranoid for good reason. South Africa was a very dangerous place. We grew up with a lot of security measures. So listening to her just like casually chatting about what she's doing to a complete stranger on the phone was like, and so he asked the very iconic question. Do you like scary movies? Well, yeah, because when she says she's going to watch a video, well, what is it? Oh, just a scary movie. Like, she doesn't say what, but, and then that prompts this whole conversation. Like, why are you still talking to this guy? Because as we will find out in the conversation, she has a boyfriend who's on his way over. So why the hell are you just flirting with this dude on the phone? It just, like, boredom? Boredom while the popcorn gets made? And why the fuck are you cooking popcorn before the guests arrive? That shit's going to get cold. Yeah, it's going to be cold. Like, unless you know that he's going to be there, like, 
five minutes or he's late or who the fuck knows. And also popcorn doesn't take that long. Just exactly. make it make Anyways. <laughs> so they swap scary movies and, you know, Wes Craven, you know, her favorite is what you call it, uh, The Nightmare on Elm Street because Wes Craven has to be self-referencing. And the great line here is, yeah, you know, the first one was really good, but the sequel sucked. Which is absolutely true. <laughs> it's true, but it's also just like, damn, Wes Craven, you worked on some of those sequels. So falling on your own sword there. But this is where we just, I mean, we immediately set this movie apart from the other horror films. It is aware of horror. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's where we kick off and it gets even more explicit later on. So then he asks her if she has a boyfriend and we mentioned, you know, we eventually learned that she does, but she says no. My is like, why are you being flirty with this creep and like pretending you don't have a boyfriend who's phone stalking you? Like, like what is this behavior? Well, I do, but you wouldn't know him. He goes to this other school, so yeah. In Canada. <laughs> And so, and so she asks, why do you want to know my name? And he says, because I want to know who I'm looking at. And then, boom. And this chain. is where the scene becomes awesome. Like, I was annoyed with him, man. This is not how I remember. And at that moment, okay, this is as good as I remember for the rest of this whole sequence. It's fucking amazing. It is pretty fantastic. A couple logical lapses, which I'm going to bring up here. Maybe I saw something that I wasn't supposed to. Yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying it's still really damn good. There's. Oh, yeah. No, it's still, still really plenty damn good. Of issues. This is at a, and still plenty of like, why the fuck are you doing that? <laughs> you know? A lot of this movie is why the fuck are you doing that? Even though this movie calls out a lot of why the fuck do they do that <laughs> in horror movie behaviors, it still indulges in them. Sometimes self-awarely, other times not so self-awarely. So she goes and she turns the light on the back porch where the pool is pinning that she hangs up on him a few times for popcorn is now smoking so that's that's been ruined and calls her back one last time and says if she hangs up again he's gonna gut her like a fish so shit's getting real real now and he drops her name it's like Lonnie I haven't heard real like real in so long oh my god <laughs> I mean we're not, I know we're talking mid 90s movie but Jesus it's getting real real <laughs> John this podcast is for real real not for play play mm, and in time we might grow up and get cray cray <laughs> but that's that's still a few years down the line. <laughs> John as if. It's Don't so... be so grody about things. <laughs> Look, I am all that in a bag of chips. <laughs> now, back to the movie. You need to talk to the hand because the face ain't listening. <laughs> all right, this is the rest of the podcast today. It's just us two going through outdated 90s, early 2000s slang. That is, that is the rest of it. Oh, God. Like almost 10 years ago, I was working on a short film and I dropped the word grody and no one knew what I was talking about. They're like, what the fuck is that? Oh, that's disappointing. Anyways, so, but he drops her name. It's like Lonnie or something. That freaks her out. So she starts running around the house, locking the doors. And she's like, I'm going to call the cops. She's like, hey, we're out in the middle of nowhere. They're going to, they're not going to get here in time. Mm -hmm. And by the way, she lives in a small town in rural California. And I'm supposed to believe that there's not at least one gun in this house. Damn liberals. Because like, here's the thing. California. Yeah. The big city, San Francisco, Los Angeles, very liberal, you know, blah, blah, blah. As we mentioned at the top of the episode, outside of LA, it's basically Alabama. <laughs> Folks are fucking strapped. People have guns. They wear camo. You're telling me the rural Californians don't have a gun? That's bullshit. That's that's the least believable part of this whole scene. And so she tells him that, you know, she lied. Her boyfriend is coming and he's going to kick his ass because he plays football. His name wouldn't happen to be 
Steve, would it? It is, in fact, Steve. <laughs> well, I mean, that's what Phone Voice says. <laughs> that is what Phone Voice says, but John, is it just me, or is it strange that Drew Barrymore, when she's screaming about her boyfriend, is not screaming into the microphone, but past the phone? Like, she's dropped Yeah, through. my note here was just, acting, 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 acting. <laughs> acting, acting, yes. So she's not yelling into the phone properly. By the way, I'm making um, an early New Year's resolution. Anytime I do Phone Voice quotes, I'm going to try to do Mojo jojo voice instead <laughs> do you like scary movie <laughs> curses so yeah he knows the boyfriend's name so she go tells her to turn the patio lights on but i don't recall her turning them off no she actually did I forget the reason, but okay. she actually did. And the logistics of getting... So Steve is like duct taped to a chair. When she and- walks back and the lights are off, you're not really looking for it because the lights have been on, you've seen out there. You can see his silhouette sitting out there in the chair, though. But then how did she not see him the first time? Like- he wasn't there the first time she turned the lights on. He wasn't there. The lights went out, and apparently during this phone call, they dragged the chair over in the place. Yes. Yeah, the logistics of this is nuts. So she turns it on, sees Steve, he's strapped to the chair, he's bleeding, and I legitimately thought Steve was Paul Walker when I first saw him. I was like, wait, I don't remember Paul Walker being in this movie, because he plays a fucking jock in all, like, 90s movies, but this is a little bit before Paul Walker's time. It's not quite Paul Walker, it's not quite Luke Perry, it's just this guy. He hasn't really been in anything else, yeah. So she wants to go out and help him, but the voice says, don't go outside. He wants to play a game with her or he dies. Turn off the light. And Steve like shakes his head as like as if he can hear the phone conversation. Like, don't turn off the light. Don't do what he It's like, you can't hear Steve. I get the feeling that Ghostface is just kind of Batmaning somewhere. Like he's ducked behind a planter or something. And so Steve can hear that <laughs> end of the conversation. <laughs> It's entirely possible. And that's why he needs the lights turned off so he can scamper around to another area of the house. (laughs) Scamper. Yes. So she hides behind the TV that's in the TV next room adjacent to the patio and she unplugs one of the lights. Why does she unplug the light? I don't know, but I had to go back because I was like, she clearly unplugged it and the lighting almost doesn't change at all. Like it unplugs a lamp in the room. So basically, she needs to answer some trivia about horror movies to stay alive. So first question, who's the killer in Halloween? She says, Michael Myers. Good job. Pretty easy. Mm -hmm. Then she says, name the killer in Friday the 13th. And she's like, Jason. Wrong answer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, basically gets the the average response on Reddit. Uh, Well, actually, it's not Jason. It's his mother pretending to be Jason. So loses on a technicality. Well, Steve loses his back on a technicality because he gets yeah speaking of logistics like you hear like the little carving sound and he is practically field dressed immediately somehow (laughs) (laughs) they're really good with the knives they had practice shit what do you mean they it's clearly only one killer uh spoiler it's just the one swan actually (laughs) so final question to stay alive what door am I at? Oh, that's such a good moment. Because we're playing horror movie trivia, and then which door am I at? The front door or the back patio door? And as we'll find out, there's more doors to the outside. 
there are more doors to the outside. And she's just like, she's like, I'm not playing anymore. And then immediately a chair gets chucked through the window. It honestly made me jump. I totally did not remember that happening. There's a lot of jump scares in this movie. The, right, some good, some less good. That's the only one that actually made me jump. <laughs> and so she runs to the kitchen to get a knife. And at this point, her popcorn is on fire. Popcorn <laughs> is on fire. So she grabs a knife and she sees Ghostface, this guy dressed in a Halloween costume with like, it's like a Grim Reaper robe with like a spooky white face. It's very iconic to the series. It's like, come on, you know what Ghostface is like. It wasn't a thing until this movie, and then it was everywhere. <laughs> so she sneaks outside, hides like in a corner outside, and sees that her parents are driving down the really like she's in a like a farm. Like, yeah, this is like a farm yeah, out in the country. Out in the country, sees her far her parents driving down the driveway, the really long ass driveway. And is it just me, or if she had stayed in this corner outside? she might have lived. Or if she had just started running because she sees Ghostface in the house moving like through rooms. He doesn't see her out the window right then. Go. But she waits and keeps watching and waits and keeps watching. And then when she does start running, she just stops and turns back to look. Not that jogging peek over your shoulders sort of thing. She, she'll just stop. But she doesn't even do that. She she runs along the outer wall just under the windows, looks up, and there's Ghostface ready to do a turnaround jump scare and, like, grabs at her. Right, but again, she fights him off and then starts to run away, but still doesn't even commit to it. Drew Barrymore was just like, all right, I'm going to run, but I'm not going to run. You know, I got, this is a late shoot. I'm tired. Yeah, but part of it was <laughs> that, again, she's the known quantity, so you don't expect her to actually get caught and get killed. That that was, you know, this movie opened with a big twist for its time. Yeah, it kind of did a psycho. Apparently, it's because she was originally supposed to play Sydney, but then her schedule changed and she could only commit to a short part. And so it kind of worked out this way. It, 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 this was a good way to do the film. Like, have the known oh, the, person the way I'd killed. heard of it was this was kind of her idea. And maybe it was a they were going to drop her all together. And then she said, hey, how about I be the person who does it? Maybe that was more of how it worked. I'm not sure. Yeah, that, that seems about right. She gets stabbed in the sternum. Ghostface chokes her on the ground she kicks him off and all the victims in this movie i noticed all get some shots in whether they die or not they all manage to hit Ghostface. Uh, yeah i do like that there is a good degree of fighting back and she runs to the front door sees her parents going inside and because her throat is crushed she screams but she can't scream because her throat box is crushed yeah, between that and the blood loss, she's just too weak. So yeah, the parents, you know, see the, that the inside is trash. So they're like looking around, trying to find her. And the mom picks up the phone to dial 911 and hears her daughter getting killed on the other end of the line. Yeah. Oh, first touch angle of the movie. So good. While mom's on the phone. Not as yes. prevalent as I thought it would be. Yeah, I'm missing a lot of my favorite stars from films that we've uh, reviewed. There's not really anything in the way of bad composite shots or ADR or anything like that, but we do get some nice tilts. But like, well-timed Dutch shots. This is the only one that I noticed. Any other ones later in the film just were so seamless that they were, did not stand out, at least to me. So the dad tells mom to go call the police because the phone's been disconnected doesn't escort her to the car by the way it's just like you go outside i'm gonna stay here like there's a killer <laughs> on the loose but i'm just gonna let you go outside by yourself because that's safe mom goes outside and screams because she sees drew barrymore hanging from a tree and disemboweled damn yeah damn indeed 
Cut to Nev Campbell computering. By the way, this is going to be one of those movies where <laughs> I just use the names of the actors because they're all just amazing actors. Yeah, yeah we already Sydney ran through Prescott. the list, and like usually when we talk about them, when they you know as they show up. So Sydney Prescott is a character, but she is Nev Campbell to us. And what is this janky ass word processor she's typing into? It's like Microsoft fucking DOS. Yeah, those were the days. Oh, God. <laughs> I had a computer. Okay, this was shot in 1995. Pretty sure Windows was a thing in 1995. I don't remember ever owning software this janky. It looks like the software you would use at the time to build a web page. Yeah, this is before CSS was a thing. It's only HTML. <laughs> but she's not writing code. I, I, I don't know what it is she's doing. A book report or something, maybe. Because obviously yeah, this paper. is not a lady in her early 20s. 20s. No, definitely not. These are not entirely 20-somethings pretending to and be teenagers. And the way they try to make them more youthful is just baffling. So, like, she's wearing this nightgown that I think is supposed to hide the fact that she's a fully developed woman, but instead it just looks like she's wearing maternity clothes. <laughs> Very and true. And then she has a large amount of stuffed animals on her bed. <laughs> I was in high school when this came out. That was one of the things we made fun of is what high schooler has a large amount of stuffed animals on it? Uh, I have dated some adult women who have had way too many stuffed animals. <laughs> I should have seen those for the red flags they were, but that that's on me. Um, so she hears something outside her window, and we get a Skeet Ulrich jump scare. That's right, Skeet, you've earned your name in this. You're not going to be Billy. <laughs> okay, okay. That's right. Skeetle Rick gets to be Skeetle Rick. And her dad tries to come into- You're just trying to make it so that we remember him. That's what it is. Yeah. But yeah, boyfriend climbs in through the window, cliche. Dad comes in. What's that noise? But her door is blocked by her closet door, pin in that, and comes in to tell her that, you know, he's going to bed early because he's leaving for some expo. Apparently 90s dads and movies went to a lot of expos. Yes, I'm off on business conference to business with other- other business people but small soldiers did the same thing so like it's not just like business 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 it's it's expo i'm going to an expo i'm going to a conference because everything was extreme so we have expo <laughs> extreme 2000 and guy we get such like a 90s list of things he's like okay so just so you know there's cash on the table because <laughs> you're gonna need money because i can't leave a credit card with you or venmo you or i don't have accounts set up on amazon and by the way here's the number for the hotel i I'm staying at you've got the number for the hotel right yes you're staying at the hilton by the airport the scene is brought to you <laughs> by the hilton by the airport hilton <laughs> and he's like great so with dad gone we finally learn well not finally we now learn why um little skeet ulrich <laughs> snuck into her room it's because the exorcist reminded him of their yeah, relationship and he wanted to come over and talk. <laughs> what the oh fuck? the way these people talk to each other makes no goddamn sense because he starts off saying yeah i was watching the exorcist and it made me think of you what well it was the tv version so all the good stuff got cut out and so th the first thought is like okay so the scene of her stabbing herself with a crucifix i won't describe it too much but um yeah we all know what yeah, you're talking or about or the head spinning around the pea soup you know taunting the priest with the yo mama stuff in hell like that 
oh no 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 just the idea of the good stuff because we started off so hot and heavy and now it's super tame they start discussing their relationship in movie ratings yeah the start of the relationship they were rated r heading into nc-17 but lately they've just been you know, tv edited, yeah, for, edited TV. for tv <laughs> and at the end of the scene it's a good joke but it doesn't quite work where she asks him if he could settle for pg-13 and he's like what's that and she flashes him to which i say that is not a pg-13 relationship because even though it was hidden from us like hidden from the camera he got to see him that makes it not pg-13 for him it's all a matter of perspective, I guess. But here's the thing. I'm just going to go ahead and fucking spoil this because I feel like we need to discuss the many red flags okay, that yeah, come from Yeah, I wasn't Ulrich's sure how character. to handle it, but go for it. Skeet Ulrich is one of the killers. Yep. There's a later scene where it's like, once you know this, how much more obvious could they get? And I didn't know whether to bring it up or not, but I'm yeah, I'm on board. We'll just call shit out as it goes. Spoilers for this movie from, you know, 25 years ago. This is a giant red flag. This is one of many red flags from his character. Coming over just to talk about our relationship vis-a-vis movie ratings because I want to fuck. Yeah, again, as I said, people don't talk about this, but it does kind of set the precedent for how much they do speak in movie references. And this is one of the more ridiculous ones. So once that's out of the way, if you're on board, like the rest of the movie can flow really well. I mean, this is an almost two hour movie. It really doesn't feel like it. It moves very nicely. It really doesn't. So heavy petting ensues (laughs) and he tries pushing her boundaries because yeah, she has a no underwear yeah, yeah, to... maybe we can do some over-the-clothes stuff. Yeah, but he tries to go under the clothes, another red flag, and she very quickly throws him out, and he says on his way down the ladder, you know, I was only half serious about the sex stuff. Another red flag, you are absolutely serious about the sex stuff, you want to have sex and you're just too chicken shit to come out about it. <laughs> And by the way, this ladder goes down like four feet, right? Like this is clearly a set. <laughs> oh, and oh, he doesn't okay. go all like, the no, way down. Like the, her room's on the the upper level of the house. But no, I get what you're saying. Yes, yes, yeah, this is clearly it looks a like set. he gets off the ladder halfway down. He's this like is he's a wh- step stool. <laughs> this is well. This is the '90s, so that means they got a really good deal on um, those long, the long but not quite a bench thing for step aerobics, and you could okay. add like an extra height to it. There was some shit on the base you can add. That's what this is, and then it's just like that. You have a low wall, and I'm miming going down the stairs, sort of thing. <laughs> That's the ladder. Legitimately, it looked like he started walking on air. As he you don't like, even see what's like, supposedly the ladder. He just comes in through the window. <laughs> So cut to the high school surrounded by cops and reporters. We get our first glimpse of reporter Courtney Cox sporting her uh, Rachel haircut. Mm -hmm. Definitely was not jealous of Jennifer Aniston's fame. Don't worry about it. Then Rose McGowan jump scares Nev Campbell on her way in, their BFFs, and tells her that Drew Barrymore was found dead. They don't know who the killer is, and the cops are going to be interrogating everybody at the school. Yeah, Rose McGowan and everyone else in Nev Campbell's circle of friends are absolute assholes. Okay, everyone else I can get on board with. Why is Rose McGowan an asshole? Well, because they're supposedly best friends, and she does refrain from saying, when your mom was killed. Right. But it starts off where it was like, oh, Drew Barrymore and her boyfriend got killed last night and Nev Campbell's response is like oh my god I sit next to her in English and the response is not anymore (laughs) and I was just like Jesus especially knowing (laughs) Sydney Nev Campbell's history and how it's you know it it's we're coming up on the anniversary of her mom's murder and so she's like well not anymore (laughs) I mean it's crazy there hasn't been anything since well you know 
It's like, you know, you are a horrible friend. You are a horrible friend. And that's coming from me. I mean, you're first of all, you're not a horrible friend. And second um, of all, I feel. Wow. We've moved on from Santa Claus that that fast. All right. Cool. <laughs> he dropped off black dynamite. Right. And yeah. I'm going to say that, that I'm going to say that counts. Right. I haven't seen it yet. But the fact that you came out all the way to drop it off. <laughs> So they're going inside, and this place is surrounded by cops. they got police barricades up, and they're just letting people in. They're not stopping anyone. They're not checking anybody. They are basically Walmart readers. Yeah, but the barricades you mentioned are, like, in front of doors. They have exits blocked. So it's it's very clearly there are only certain ways in and out of the school right now. Right, but they're not checking anybody. They're not like, okay, let's see some bags. Let's just make sure none of Like, they're just letting people in. They, 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 they came across as uniformed Walmart readers. They are there just to get information. They don't have suspects. They don't know anything. They have no reason to think, you know, that there's going to be murders at the school. So it's just, we're going to set up a few boundaries. We're going to talk to the staff. We're going to talk to the students. And we just want to make sure things don't get too out of hand. This isn't an age where, you know, we had metal detectors for elementary students. That wasn't a thing yet. I know, and I think that I'm just looking at it through that lens, probably. I mean, that is part of the purpose of the show, so. So eventually, uh, it's Nev Campbell's turn to talk to the cops and goes into Principal Henry Winkler's office. I did not remember him being in this movie. Yeah, me neither. I totally did not remember that he is in this movie. He's uncredited as well. That might have something to do with it. Uncredited. Um, but just because there's, I really love this movie and it's so few and far between of shit to make fun of, I have to call out the classroom. I, okay. I went back to look at like the blackboard and everything. Maybe there's little clues or hints or whatever. And there's not. It's generic classroom shit. Except there's a list of people on the board who have not turned in their assignments yet. That doesn't happen. And the names aren't of prominent people. I was like, oh, here's a li- like here is a list of names of students. Like maybe this is a clue. This is the order they're going to get bumped off in. No, nothing. So boo on this movie for a lack of compelling set design. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, that is very nitpicky. Yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> So Nev Campbell's in the principal's office, and the sheriff clearly knows her. Something happened with her. We don't know yet. I mean, clearly it's because we will later learn her mother got murdered, so that's probably how they know each other well. This scene is to give us Henry Winkler and David Arquette. There is no other reason for this scene, because we already know they're interviewing students. She's sitting in class, and the teacher gets a note to tell Sydney that it's her time. She goes in there, and they're like, all right, we just have a couple questions. This will be easy. And we cut to the next scene. This is a pointless moment. Well, we also get uh, Henry Winkler stroking her chin, which was not okay. (laughs) I missed that part. All right. (laughs) No, there's a principal touching, holding her chin moment. And that shit does not fly, my friend. That was a weird acting choice. That was the point of the scene, John. I'm okay that I missed it. I'm okay. Henry Winkler was like, look, you don't have to put me in the credits. I just get to cradle Nev Campbell's So chin. as I said, we move to the next scene. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I really don't want to hear about this anymore. I don't care if she's actually 23. <laughs> 
Even if she's 23, that's still not okay. That's not okay. Actors, actresses, you don't have to have your chin cradled by anyone. Especially if you're playing a high school student. Especially if you're playing a high school and student. And it's not your, you know, boyfriend or girlfriend or what, you know. It's not the person you're or in a relationship whatever. with. So outside, we meet the rest of the Scooby gang. Literally, because we have Matthew Lillard yep. here. We also meet Jamie Kennedy, plays... um. Oh, what's his character's name? Because it's, it's, it is actually important to a running theme in this. God, I can't remember. Anyways, we'll I figure can't it out But it's Jamie point. Kennedy, Bro- and he's one of those actors which I don't know why, but I never liked. Interesting. Has he always played an asshole or? No, I don't know, because there's just something about him I never liked. This was even to a greater extent with me with um, Bill Paxton. Like, I would hear he's in a movie, and I'd be like, ah, fuck that. I don't want to see that. But everything I've seen him in, I've really liked, and I can say he does a good job. Like, if you hate the character, it's because they're doing a good job. It's nothing against the actor. I've right. always enjoyed the roles they've done but for some reason i just kind of tune out when i hear they're in something it's really weird i don't know what this is about you don't like bill paxton i eventually grew out of it but for the longest time it was like i'd hear oh there's a movie with bill paxton i'd be like i don't want to see it even though i love movies with bill paxton and his performances like aliens tombstone whatever a simple plan fucking sam raimi movie just for some reason Eh? Well, I'm glad you got over it because I was the total opposite. Anytime I heard a Bill Paxton was in something, I'm like, sign me the fuck up. I love me some Bill Paxton. Yeah, that's me with like Bill Murray and Kurt Russell. Like if I hear that name, it's I will at least give this a shot. I don't give a fuck what it is. I don't care if this is Guardians of the Galaxy 2. That was all right. Not as good as the first one, but... So we also have Skeet Ulrich's out here, Nev Campbell's out here, Rose McGowan's out here, and Matthew Lillard and Rose McGowan are talking about how the killer couldn't be a woman. Well, he says the killer could win because only men are strong enough to move the body, and they have that killer instinct. And so she's like, well, so you basically have to be able to think like a man. It's like, yeah, but they were basically um, field dressed. And so to be able to do that and gut someone, and it's the rhetorical of like, how could you gut someone? And he starts explaining it. Very literally. Yes. Where you place the knife, how you move it, how you get the guts out. And spoiler alert, he's, he's one of the, the other killer. Yes. He's the other killer. Matthew Lillard is the other killer. So he's just like. And Skeet is flashing in some dude shut up eyes. Like it is so obvious once you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering how we were ever surprised by the twist. Because the acting and directing was so good. As a, yeah, he, Skeet's not overt with his shut up face. And Lillard, again, that's kind of the character he'd already played before and plays since, where he's just super hyper, no filter, just bouncing everywhere. And he commits to it through the rest of the movie, so this doesn't seem that out of place. Except no, for the fact that all. this is the first time you're meeting this character. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And so the group kind of goes around, starts accusing each other of being the killer, uh, Matthew Lillard. And that's where we get all the alibis. Get all the alibis. Yeah, Matthew Lillard was supposedly with Rose McGowan. But then I'm like, okay, so only Skeet Ulrich killed What's-Her-Face? That doesn't seem likely. Apparently, yeah. Jamie Kennedy was at the video store where he works. We also learned that Matthew Lillard used to date Drew Barrymore. Yep. So there's there's your motive right there already. Yeah, because she had dumped him right before dating Steve. And he totally gives that, no, no, I dumped her, man. 
Also, Skeet Ulrich is noticeably quiet during this whole thing. He does not offer up an alibi. Yeah, I think Nev Campbell mentions how he came over. Like, they get that he had been over at her house, though. Yeah, but nobody's matching the timelines up. It's... No. So, Nev Campbell can't handle Jamie Kennedy and Matthew Lillard making morbid jokes about murder and walks away. And this is such a great line. Matthew Lillard's like, live her alone. <laughs> Jesus. I loved it. So back at her house, Nev Campbell talking to Rose McGowan on her wireless home phone again. (laughs) She's like, you know, seeing all those reporters and cops made her think about some event that is yet to be revealed. It'll be revealed in about like two minutes. But also we need to know that Rose McGowan is coming over that night. And she's talking and she's like walking through the house. And my note here is what the fuck is this old timey wall phone doing in their kitchen? I I didn't notice it, but describe it because I, I might be able to have some insight. It is like a 1910s, 1920s wall wooden box phone with the funnel mouthpiece. Okay, and the I had a friend. Like- I had a friend who had one of these, but that was just the aesthetic. Like you still had the earpiece and you talked into the funnel, but it was still touch tone. Like it looked like it had a rotary on it, but those were just buttons that you pressed in a circle. No, this was totally antique. It, it was. It was okay. Probably so you just had to like pick up the earpiece and then go like click 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 click. Operator, give me number five three please yeah that's right <laughs> because everyone speaks like that <laughs> mm-hmm. i would like to call klondike 949 putting you through but our switchboards at the baywatch beat house <laughs> <laughs> there's no baywatch reference this episode so that's the best i could do is a little off the cuff comments <laughs> yeah there's no baywatch overlap it's unfortunate i thought skeet ulrich might have been there but no. i really thought someone in this cast had to have shown up at some point but no no they they, they, they were all too good for baywatch at this point in their careers well i mean even beforehand you know a, a couple yeah. years before because like this year like the again this was the year with the craft sure they'd done some tv and some other stuff a little bit beforehand but this was the year that just about all these people started taking off so to show up on something in baywatch say in 1994 not that out of place yeah you're absolutely as we right, proved but... with carrie ann moss <laughs> <laughs> so nev campbell watches some tv so we can get some exposition about the murders Yes, her TV gets all news. All news all the time. On every channel, she flicks over to every one where we learn- she flicks to, it's just news. <laughs> and we flick over to the one where Courtney Cox is talking about how a year ago her mom was raped and murdered. I understand it for plot reasons, but not for make sense in the world reasons of why is this the story she listens to the longest? Because the rest are talking about what just happened and what's up with school and maybe, you know, this and that. But then she lingers on the personal story just so that she can get more upset at it. But I think it's because, as we'll eventually learn, she fucking hates Courtney Cox. And so I think she was hate-watching her. (laughs) It makes sense. So then we get a bunch of her moping around, and uh, she's moping, and she eventually, like, lies down to take a nap. And my note here in all caps is, SHOES ON THE COUCH! (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, if there was one rule that we had, I was not allowed to wear shoes on the couch. Never allowed to wear shoes on the couch and i'm glad that that is a habit that was ingrained in me because i do not wear shoes on the couch that is disgusting oh my god why are there shoes 
<laughs> so gross. So anyways, phone rings later that night. It's Rose McGowan. She's running late, but she's going to go pick up all the right moves so they can see Tom Cruise's dick in it. And another moment of her being an absolute horrible friend and a total asshole. Oh, because she was running late? But don't worry. Drew Barrymore and boyfriend didn't die till after 10. Like, I know I'm running late, you know, and it's a bit after 7, but they didn't get slaughtered until 10 p.m. <laughs> so you still have some time Fucking to live. hell, Rose McGowan. <laughs> I was not picking up on this. This was way too subtle for, for my sensibilities. Apparently, I'm glad you did, because, wow. It leapt out at me. <laughs> And again, my note in all caps is SHOES! She still has her goddamn <laughs> shoes on the couch! You fucking savage, Nev Campbell. You're a savage. Anyways, so she puts the phone down and rings again. Hello, Sydney. Hello, Sydney. <laughs> it is I, Mojo Jojo. <laughs> Letting her know that he's going to be doing some shenanigans in Townsville. <laughs> After I have my breakfast. <laughs> but he says it's kind of a scary night, isn't it? Kind of like a horror movie, huh? Huh? Audience, because cause you're watching a horror you movie. Get it? You get it yet? Yeah. Nudge, nudge. Yeah. Wink, wink. Yeah. And she's convinced in no uncertain terms that it's Jamie Kennedy playing a prank. She's like, come on, come on. Randy, I think is his name. Oh, come on, Randy. God, I love this sequence. It's so good. This is one of the greater moments of people knowing that horror movies exist. It's something that pisses me off. Like in zombie movies, no one's ever seen a zombie film or read a zombie book or whatever before. Right. Or are aware that the word zombie even exists. It's crazy and the same thing basically goes for vampires werewolves whatever it's very few and far between yes you can point out specifics where it comes up but few and far between where that's the case she's like look you know i don't like horror movies it's always some killer hunting a big-breasted bimbo who can't act who runs up the stairs when she should be running out the front door it's insulting Big old irony pin in that. <laughs> yeah, but again, well, this is again calling out and then using the tropes in a believable way because yes. then Mojo Jojo tells her that he is right outside the front door and she goes, yeah, bullshit, unlocks the door and walks out in the porch and she's like, can you see me? Can you see me? Okay, so what am I doing? And she's picking her nose and like <laughs> yes, turning is. around. So no matter where you're at, you'll be able to see this. Yeah, and she's Amazing. like, she's like, yeah, that's what I thought, asshole, and walks back inside. <laughs> It's so good. Uh, During this time, the killer managed to get inside. So when she walks in, she gets attacked after after closing and locking the door. So now she's in a panic and she can't get the door open and winds up running up the stairs. (laughs) Out of necessity. Yeah, it's a great like calling out the trope and making the trope work. Yeah, fantastic. It is fantastic. Kevin Williamson, the writer, knew his fucking movies. By the way, quick aside about him. Do you know what the original title of Scream was? Oh, I've forgotten it, and I sure as hell didn't put it in the notes. This was originally entitled Scary Movie. Oh, no shit. Which makes the Scary Movie parodies even better. Yeah, because they're literally using... It's like how they called, Family Guy called their Star Wars parody. I was gonna mention Julian would have brought up the Blue Harvest Star Wars connection, yeah. Exactly. Which I, you know, I reject your reality and replace it with my own. I refuse to believe that and say that it's because they serve blue milk on Tatooine (laughs) and they're farmers. So that's where Blue Harvest actually comes from. 
I <laughs> sure, why not? I, I That's don't my head cannon. Suck it. I don't have a dog in that fight. By the way, like the turn in the movie is like when she's like starts to realize that shit's getting fucky before she gets chased up the stairs. She's, like she's like, but I'm not Randy, and she just believes him immediately as soon as he <laughs> says right. he's not That's Randy. Right. She thinks it's Jamie Kennedy and goes, and the disguised voice. No, I'm not. And that's when you get that like and a bit of the yeah horror movie and a bit of the zoom music. in like you did on yeah. Drew Barrymore of who am I looking at? Yeah, it's that same sort of moment of shit just got real. But I think she she continues to call him out as Randy uh, even a little bit later where she's just like hey, yeah okay fuck you Randy. like after she's gone outside and can you see me and all that she's like yeah not funny Randy fuck you so yeah chases her up the stairs but this is after a scuffle like she gets like she kicks oh Ghostface. yeah she oh. gets some shots in so that she's able to get away yeah but again she's in panic mode so she runs upstairs and very smartly as we saw earlier as quote unquote an accident blocks the door with her closet so excellent callback and when he's trying to come through the door and it's being blocked by the closet door, these sound effects are so bad. But I feel like they, <laughs> this might be intentionally so because the music in this scene is super retro horror. Mm-hmm. So I feel like this might be intentional because for whatever reason, he wanted this scene because he's, they called out this horror trope and are doing the horror trope. So just like everything's a bit of a throwback is what, what we're getting at here. I feel like that might have been the case because I think Wes Craven is way too good a director to let that shitty sound in his movie on purpose. Agreed. Well, like by accident. So the phone line is cut. She can't dial 911 from her room, but can somehow. <laughs> but she can command her computer to dial 911. And there's like the 911 chat room. Apparently. There's the 911 <laughs> chat room, but also if the phone lines cut, the internet's cut because this is the 90s. Yeah, I know because there was only dial up at this time. There was no cable. There was no high speed, no Wi-Fi, no um, fiber. Optic. It was all phone line. But eventually the killer just leaves. He just gets bored, I guess, and decides to go get a snack. We get a Skeetle Rick jump scare. He comes through the window. Uh, he says the front door was locked and he heard screaming. Um, it's like the killer was here. You know, he's gone. He's gone. And I love that this is a plot point. Right. But he says he's because gone. He but dropped, it's like, well, no, the he drops his phone thing. <laughs> his cell phone falls out of his pocket. The that he has a cell phone and the killer must have been using one is a plot point in this goddamn movie. <laughs> I mean, it is 1996. They were not as widespread. Like two years later, like pretty much everyone would have one. Like or more people would have them. But I feel like 1996 teenagers having a cell phone, that seems a little extravagant. Mm. You're more likely to have a pager. I feel. But the fact that you're automatically a suspect and that, as we'll learn, it's incredibly hard to get phone records. Apparently, phone records don't show who called you. Or like you have to go get them, have to go through the papers. Like, who the fuck knows? But yeah. Well, that's no, that's a bit of a thing where you had to like contact the phone company. And like, if it's your line, you could get the records easily. So, and I, I imagine the police would. But I guess it was a weekend or something because they're not going to get them for a few days. Well, we're jumping ahead a little bit. But, you but, know, but, he. Okay, yeah, I'll continue when we get there, sure. She thinks he's the killer, runs out the front door, and we get a David Arquette holding the scream mask jump scare. 
To which I have, damn it, Arquette, you do not handle evidence with your bare hands. Ooh, there's going to be a lot of this called out from multiple people, pinning that for the end of the movie. But yeah, holding it with his bare hands. I mean, they establish, you know, he's the new guy and no one in town ever takes him seriously because it's one of those where everyone knows everyone. He was always, you know, the kind of dopey person. So it's real hard for anyone to offer him any respect. But man, when you pull shit like this, you're just making it harder on yourself. And so they arrest Billy. Uh, The cops are there. Paramedics are checking out Nev Campbell making sure she's okay and the cops want to take her down to the station for questioning uh, Rose McGowan shows up basically shows us that her older brother cop is her bitch and says yeah. that Nev yeah oh my god like she wears the pants in that sibling relationship holy fuck basically like no Nev Campbell is staying at our place tonight no I didn't ask mom fuck you she's just coming over oh no 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 they did clear it with mom because way way earlier when they were first on the phone it was like hey are you sure it's cool I can stay for a long time dad's out of town kind of like a I don't want to be here alone sort of situation yeah so as the cops drive away Rose McGowan's getting into her uh, red Volkswagen Beetle and Courtney Cox shows up and she tries to question Rose McGowan, who basically tells her to fuck off and drives away. And Courtney Cox takes her anger out on the camera guy by just fat shaming him. Yeah. Just really yeah. brutally. Kenny, because she's like, hey, come on, let's go. And then he's not quite there in time to basically see her get told off anyway. So she vents by like, look, I know you're overweight, but when I say let's go, move your fat lard ass. God damn it. Ah, uh, the 90s when you could make fun of fat people. <laughs> So, at but the, um, the the cameraman, he's another one of that guy actors. Oh, really? Yeah, he, yeah, he his had name's that W. Face. Earl Brown, but most recently, uh, Dan Doherty on Deadwood, and huh. he's been on Preacher even more recently. So, he's still around, he's still acting. You've uh, he was in something about Mary, huh? As Mary's, how would you say, mentally challenged uh, brother who always had the headphones on. It's the same guy. Crazy. Okay. Well, I'm glad he's still working. Uh, Good for him. So now we're at the police station and David Arquette is questioning Nev Campbell. Apparently he wasn't able to get a hold of her dad at the Hilton. So that's a little suspicious. Yeah, maybe seeing at a different hotel, but she just doesn't know what that could be because. Yeah. yeah, she's so shocked by everything that's happened. Like she's just not phased at all that her dad is not at the place where he said he was going to be. Cut to the sheriff. What are you doing with a cellular telephone, son? Yeah, okay. <laughs> What's I mean, Skeet Ulrich? When, when, when he dropped it on the floor and she looked at, you know, Skeet, there was definitely that dun, dun, dun moment. And I just started laughing. I was like, oh, God, the cell phone's incriminating. And this is where it becomes explicit. <laughs> but he calls it a cellular telephone. John, oh, yeah. I've never heard anyone call a cell phone a cellular telephone unless they were explaining to me what cell phone meant. Right. This is the shorthand version of we have to explain what an EMP is. We have to explain that GPS is global positioning satellite systems, but it's just the shorthand where they use the long form and say cellular. Okay. Yeah. And you know, Billy makes the case of man, people have them. How is this a thing? People have these. And his dad is there like, yeah, check the phone records. And the cop's like, thanks, Skeet Ulrich's dad. You know, we'll, we'll, we're handling it. Like, we know how to cop, all right? Yeah, don't tell me how to do my job. And then Skeet Ulrich's dad almost slaps him up the side of the head when he confesses that he was at Nev Campbell's house more than once. You are interested in a girl, a teenage boy. What? You left the house? He's like, I was bored. I wanted to see my girlfriend. <laughs> 
So basically, the sheriff straight up accused, asked him where he was the night before. Skeetle was like, look, I didn't kill anybody. And the sheriff says that they're going to have to hold Skeetle Rick there until they can get a hold of the phone records and confirm that he was not there. This is the point I was trying to make earlier. Can't you look at her phone records and see the numbers that called her? They eventually do that. Uh, no. Well, not hers, but they, for, for either her or Drew Barrymore, they do go through the phone records. No, what they find is that her dad's phone called both numbers. But it's not, we looked at your records, we looked at hers, and saw this same number calling on the at the correct times. It's, here's this other suspect whose phone called those numbers. Okay. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. Because movie, that's what we can chalk it up to. I also need to get this nomenclature out of the way. I need to address this. This is a town. This is the Woodsboro Police Department. Yeah, so why are they sheriffs and deputies? I'm cutting yes, you off on that you. question. Thank yes. you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Not just me. Like, if, if this was like, we are the Woodsboro County Sheriff's Office, that would make sense. But I'm like, I'm pretty sure if you're a sheriff, you are due countywide law enforcement. Towns and cities are done with, like, the local municipal police department this movie's mixing this shit up yep okay cool not just me i'm not exactly clear on the distinction you know on where your jurisdictions are but yes they are very separate entities police department do not have sheriffs and deputies they have officers so outside it's a media circus camera guy kenny tells courtney cox that they're not letting anyone in but courtney cox says no no, no. they're they're gonna let me in and watching her get blocked by the guy at the door is like no you can't go in there it was just incredibly satisfying to watch and this movie does not know how going live for a news report works yeah because courtney cox is it this moment where she wants to go out you know she's going just to get info and kenny her cameraman's like you want to go live? She's like, no, not yet. We don't have enough info. <laughs> yeah, well, they, they say that later, but it's basically at this point, she's like, yeah, no, like, hey, Kate, hey, I think you're the most like, hey, let's go live. You don't get to decide that. Yeah, it's not like you get, you know, when you're streaming to Twitch, you get to decide when you go live. You have to, like, coordinate with the network. There's a whole thing involved, most likely. It's not just you, know, you the field reporter, get to go live. Yeah, there's a specific block of time when the newscast happens, and that's when they will go live live to their reporter in the field they're not going to interrupt just whatever's on tv with your live broadcast they might come in with a breaking story but it's the people at the desk in the studio who are going to interrupt literally anything else this movie does not know that so while they drag skeetle rick to jail david arquette comes in and says you know he's got the costume that they found and apparently it's like you can find it at any five and dime. There's no ways they're going to be able to catch the criminal going through store records. Yeah. And Sheriff gives us a, you know, kids these days. Blah. There's a lot of kids these days things in this. With their cellular telephones. Their cellular telephones and their pagers and their rap music. Yeah. This is the kind of guy who in later years would call things the Facebook. The Facebook. He, he still calls it the Nintendo. He calls a PlayStation a, a Nintendo. He tries to get hip and refers to online as the interwebs. The World Wide Web. <laughs> I was on the World Wide Web doing some surfing. That's right. Hanging 10 over the phone lines. Hanging 10 with my digits on the keyboard. Oh, God, I hate myself for even saying that right now. <laughs> so Rose McGowan totally cucks David 
David Arquette in front of his coworkers. Jesus Christ. Because she wants to get out of there. And it's like, hey, I'm at work. Gotta show me a little respect. I'm a And this was actually something I did not remember from this movie, but I did remember from Scary Movie. Because they play him as severely mentally challenged in Scary Movie. And he's like, Mom says when I'm working, you have to respect me. And the <laughs> response in that is, well, Mom also said to stop putting your dick in the vacuum cleaner. <laughs> But in this, yeah, it's totally, look, you know the rules. If I'm wearing the badge, I am in, I have authority. And you have to law. treat me with the respect. And it's so funny because as they leave to go like sneak out the back and avoid the, the reporters, he's like, you did that right in front of my superior. And she says, the janitor's your superior. <laughs> yeah, this character should be played by Rodney Dangerfield. And I'm not even going <laughs> to explain that reference. You're either going to get it or you won't. I won't even explain it to the audience out of respect for your intentions there. <laughs> And yeah, poor guy. He's just trying to do his job. He's not a bad guy. He's just a little goofy. Anyways, they try to sneak out the back and they get ambushed by Courtney Cox. Yes, because she is the only one. In fact, it's not even her. It's the cameraman who realizes there's probably another entrance to the police station. Yeah, they're not just going to like walk her out the front door. So they go around the back and finds Rose McGowan and Nev Campbell there. And Rose McGowan's like, no, come on, let's get out of here. And Nev Campbell's like, no, 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 I'll talk to her. I'll talk to her. And she's like, yeah, hey, Courtney Cox, how's the book? And she's like, yeah, it's going great. You know, I'll send you a copy. And she right hooks fucking Courtney to which Cox. I have, um, that's assault. That is not just assault. That is battery. And by no matter how much, that, yeah, she deserved it. But that is a crime. That is a crime and she committed it right in front of David Arquette so my note he's here is and that's when Nev Campbell got arrested for battery and the movie took a weird turn as it became a legal drama between Nev Campbell and Courtney Cox I did not remember the movie taking that turn oh lovely <laughs> so now it's time for a pajama party in Rose McGowan's bedroom Rose McGowan is very turned on by Nev Campbell punching Courtney Cox in the face yeah and then Rose McGowan's mom comes in and tells Dev Campbell that there's a call for her, but it's not her dad. Again, things that like happened in the 90s, like we all have our own phones in our pockets. If we want to get, like, John, if I want to call you, I just pick up my phone and call you. I don't need so like call your house and have someone come find you and ask right, who's but call- she's not even at her own house. So how many people know that she's staying with Rose McGowan? Like her dad would have, because apparently they'd set this up and she was just confirming it after school that. Day because with dad being gone, is it cool if I stay there for a while? She wasn't just going to be a quick little sleepover sort of situation, yeah. I mean, also, they're friends, so like, you know, hey, if she's not picking up at home, I'll call, call, call her friend's house. She goes down to the phone because Rose McGowan doesn't get a phone in her room. Fuck her. Hello, Sydney. It is I, Mojo Jojo. And yeah, uh, says to her, looks like you fingered the wrong guy again. You fingered the wrong guy. (laughs) He sounds very dirty. And he's like, who is this? And she'll find out who he is soon enough. Hangs up. And then at this point, the moms come in, you know, because she's screamed on the phone. And David Arquette runs in with his service pistol. And my notes here, again, in all caps is, holy lack of trigger discipline batman (laughs) oh my god like I am very pro gun safety, so when I see shit like this, it drives me bananas. 
But he still tries to be like the person in charge and responsible. He's like, yeah, you have nothing to worry about. I'll be right next door. And in this case, I'm sure he means like literally the next bedroom, not the next house or something like that. Right. He lives in this house. 25, got the beginnings of a career and still living at home. That's just being a millennial, but that's neither here nor there. Right. But if you were 25 in 1996, you're not a millennial. (laughs) He's like a hipster millennial. He was being a millennial before it was cool. Before it was cool. (laughs) (laughs) And I love the way this scene buttons itself. He picks up the phone. He's like, hello. (laughs) Like he's some sort of, like he's going to handle the situation. Yeah, he's going to be able to trace the call that already got hung up on. (laughs) Yeah, Mojo Jojo doesn't want to talk to him. Okay, so sorry. You just made a thing switch flip in my mind. Why are all dwarves hipsters? No idea. Because everything they do is so underground. (laughs) (laughs) love it love it (laughs) so anyways we get some more exposition newscasts the next morning uh they're now back in the kitchen for breakfast and the newscast exposits that nev campbell testified against liv schreiber yep see i remember him from the second movie i didn't realize that he actually made an appearance in this movie but yeah you show what is presumably stock footage of like him getting placed in the cruiser you know his arrest going to jail all that sort of thing i was very surprised that that was not a recast situation was he i forget was he in stuff at this point because he's yeah he has a non-speaking role he's just on camera i didn't double check but he was recognizable again i'm not quite sure at this point but scream 2 was only a year later and when he showed up in that movie it's like oh yeah i recognize him even again as a high schooler so he'd definitely been in stuff so he's getting, you know, we see yeah, that stock footage, as you mentioned. And basically we learn that um, he's appealing the death penalty that he was given for supposedly being Nev Campbell's mother's killer. And we also learned that Nev Campbell testified against him. And that's the testimony that put him away in jail. So that's important to remember. Mm-hmm. So David Arquette lets her know that Skeet Ulrich was released because the phone records show it wasn't him calling. And in the meantime, they're going to cross-reference any calls made to her and Drew Barrymore and see if that leads to anything. So that's that's where he drops that. And all of these breakfast revelations are brought to you by Corn Checks. Corn Checks. America makes way too much stuff with corn in it. So David Arquette drops them off at school, her and Rose McGowan. And his line here is, don't worry, Sid, it's school. You'll be safe here. And my note is, ah, the naivete of a pre-Columbine world. Yeah. Yeah. I made myself depressed. Nev Campbell gets accosted by a reporter, who, you know, because the people have the right to know the truth. And John, who is this reporter? This is Annoying Reporter. That's her name in this movie. And who plays Annoying Reporter, John? Linda Blair. Linda Mother. So is this why? Blair. Do you think maybe because they got her, that's why Billy referenced the exorcist early on that Skeet compared their relationship? Because you could have picked literally any horror movie and been like, oh, the TV version. There's no reason for it to be the exorcist specifically. Well, they do reference a lot of iconic horror movies, and it's kind of hard to reference iconic horror. There are certain moments where there's a reason you reference certain ones. Like in the video store, it's if the cops watch this and this and this, they'd have this case solved because that's what's going on here but in that case where it's just oh i saw the heavily edited version that could have been anything entirely possible we will never know so she gets away from linda blair (laughs) Uh, just like the licks on a tootsie roll pop (laughs) we may never know and so she spots 
Courtney Cox sitting in her van. She walks over to her. Courtney Cox is like, hey, don't don't come over here. And she's like, no, no, I come in peace. They talk about a lot of shit. There's a lot of back and forth. But what we learned in this conversation is essentially that Nev Campbell's testimony put Leah Schreiber away. A lot of the details of the case are pretty ambiguous. And Courtney Cox is convinced that Leah Schreiber was incident was innocent and was framed. However, Nev Campbell believed that he raped and killed her mother. But in this conversation, Courtney Cox kind of sees that her convictions are being chipped away. She's like, yeah, I don't think you fully believe it anymore. But the big thing that Nev Campbell is holding on to that Courtney Cox put in her book is that um, Liv Schreiber and her mom were having an affair. Yes. And Nev Campbell doesn't want to believe that she her mom She just refuses to believe that. And as we'll get throughout several scenes through the rest of the movie, it's... Her mom may have been a bit of village bicycle. Yeah, that is definitely a plot point in this movie. So basically, Courtney Cox kind of posits that the crimes, that, that her mother's crime and the crimes that are going on now may or may not be connected. And that's when Rose McGowan pulls Nev Campbell to go inside. And Courtney Cox is super jazzed. This could be like the huge story that gets her out of the tabloid media and gets her into the real time. This is when Kenny's like, so you want to go live? <laughs> Yeah, that's not how it works. We discussed this, but yeah. So she's like, look, if she breaks this story wide open, she could save Liev Schreiber's life. And this is going to be great for book sales. Because she's also kind of an asshole. (laughs) Right. There's a brief moment where it's like, I could save someone's life and I'm just so happy to be able to be doing the right thing. But no, doing this incredibly heroic thing will be great to forward my career. And that's why I'm doing it. (laughs) (laughs) And then she slaps him in joy. I think she slapped him wet, like, you know, outside of... Poor Kenny. Yeah, I think she got slapped when she fat shamed him and now she slaps those. Like, she slaps him when she's mad. She slaps him when she's happy. This is a massive HR lawsuit waiting to happen. (laughs) So now we're inside by the lockers and uh, Matthew Lillard, Rose McGowan, and Nev Campbell are talking about how Skeet Ulrich just got released. And this is when some asshole pranksters run down the hall. Yeah, so now it's not just her circle of friends. It's just teenagers in general. Well, I mean, mid-20-year-old teenagers in general are absolute assholes because now they've gone to Spirit Halloween and picked up the ghost face costume and are (laughs) running through the halls. This just triggers her, you know, because she's been traumatized. Understandably by all this. so, I must say. Understandably so. She's like, okay, I'm just going to walk away now because fuck all this. Because Matthew Lillard is being very insensitive about the whole thing. And he gets lollipop slapped by Rose McGowan. This was such a great look. She's like sucking on a lollipop. She just takes I feel it that had to have been improvised. The... It was too nice and pure of a moment. It's amazing. So then Nev Campbell literally runs into Skeet Ulrich. He mm-hmm. <laughs> finds him in the hallway. And this is where we get a parade of red flags for Billy. Oh my God, there is so much that happens in this moment. But the biggest one is her understanding that he's not the killer and he was locked up when that later phone call happened. Yeah. And then he spends the rest of the movie having to prove to her that he's not the killer. Does he though? Yes. He, but he, she kind this, of this fact that. keeps coming up that you think I did it. And way later on, there's literally the line, what do I have to do to prove to you that I'm not the killer? It's like, it happened back here. What the hell, movie? But anyway, on to Skeet's red flags. Of which there are many, because uh, she's basically in tears at this point about being stalked by a killer. And he's just like, see, wasn't me, bitch. Yeah. And my mom's not around anymore. We found out that she left, but my mom's not around anymore. So haven't you got over your dead mom? 
He's like, look, all I know is that I have a girlfriend who would rather accuse me of murder than touch me. But he's still like him not getting laid is like a big fucking deal right now because yeah. it's all about him. Seriously, Skeet Ulrich's performance here is incredible because he's basically playing a psychopathic narcissist and he's doing it so fucking well. A couple things yeah. about Skeet Ulrich. One, he definitely looks like Johnny Depp in A Nightmare on Elm Street in this movie. Other side to it, again, mid-90s era, Gavin Rosdale. I realize that's part of why I couldn't remember him from anything because I remember him as the singer from Bush. Oh, okay. Seriously, look up 1990s Gavin Rosdale. It looks just like him. <laughs> yeah, to basically tells her to get over the death of her mother, which is only like a year ago. Her mother who was murdered and as far as she know, thinks was raped and he's like yeah you need to get the fuck over this because yeah. um, you know my mom left so I know what it's like to get over less and like I'm over it she very correctly points out your mom's still alive just not around this is not yeah. the same thing and here's the thing. If you're completely dismissing someone's traumatic experience or pretending a barely analogous experience of your own gives you any sort of authority to do so, you might be a malignant narcissist. Just throwing that the fuck out there. And he just wants his girlfriend back. And she storms off because she's very upset by this conversation, rightfully so. And she says to him, I'm sorry my traumatized life is an inconvenience to you and your perfect existence. But it's not perfect. I, I don't have a mom too. Oh. Yeah. Like the same as your mom getting murdered. Why don't you get it? So just get over it. By the way, he is a perfect example of malignant narcissism. Only gives a fuck about himself. Yep. No emotion. It's like he's perfect. So much so that when she leaves, he smacks his head and says stupid. And it's very ambiguous because if you don't know who he is as a character, you could easily interpret that as like, oh, stupid me. I fucked up that conversation. But because if you know that he's a malignant narcissist, you could easily interpret that just as easily as she's stupid. She didn't get the obviously smart things I was saying to her. Mm -hmm. So now we're in Henry Winkler's office. Again, how is Keith so not memorable? <laughs> I don't know, because oh, again, no. he plays a malignant narcissist perfectly. Like, yeah, he does like, a great job. And again, he was on the rise and did a lot of big things with people who are still huge stars. How is he so not part of the cultural consciousness? This guy should have been a huge star. John, when we make it, we're going to make fucking Skeetle Rick a big star. That is... That is our promise to you, listener. If somehow John and I sell a script or make a show, Skeet Ulrich is going to be the motherfucking star. Skeet Ulrich and Carrie always. I know that he, you know, has a pretty good amount of attention, but not nearly as much as that man deserves. Damn straight. So now we're in Henry Winkler's office to chew out the pranksters. <laughs> the two guys running around in the, the ghost face mask. Yes, another scene you could not make today. <laughs> no, because he is like pointing fucking sharp scissors at him throughout. And he says, your entire thieving, whoring generation disgusts me. <laughs> and my question is, did boomers hate Gen X as much as they hated millennials? Oh, Every generation, it's been kids these days. Right, but I feel like the baby boomers are like kids these days to Gen X. And then when millennials came along, they're like kids these days, these fucking millennials. Yeah. Okay, good. And I'm starting to see it now with people a few years older than me talking about how, oh, these kids and their music, and they don't know what it was like. And I'm like, that's because you only remember the good stuff that you bothered to keep. There was a ton of shit. 
And it's the same thing people our parents' age were saying of how you don't understand and this is real what real music or real television or whatever is. And it's the same thing that these people are going to say in another 30 fucking years. It never changes. Where's some terrible shit from our childhoods? We've reviewed it. (laughs) Not everything is as good as you remember. It's kind of the premise of the podcast. Not every movie from the 70s and earlier was an amazing classic. Just the the ones that survived. Or the incredibly bad ones that are fun to make fun of. My note here also is, wow, Henry Winkler does not take scissors safety seriously because these are giant, like, sewer scissors, like the giant metal ones that you could easily stab someone with. And he expels them. like, fuck you, you're expelled. And they start to pull the, that's not fair, and God. <laughs> he says, not really. <laughs> fair would be gutting. For being the heartless, desensitized little shits they are. Yes. The school principal tells his students that fairness would be for him to murder them. I would have to say no. Yes, they were being dickheads. Yes, they were being irresponsible running around in that costume. That does not mean you deserve to get disemboweled and strung up. Maybe I was a little less sensitive to this because the standards for what teachers could get away with in South African schools would not fucking fly in South Africa. I mean, in America, literally a teacher got up during assembly, like the vice principal, the deputy headmaster. And because, you know, guys weren't following the rules, there was a lot of like, you know, lack of discipline in the school. He basically said his exact words in a school assembly, fit in or fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> could not do that. Yeah, they couldn't go that far in American schools, but um, they could get away with a lot more then than they could now, obviously. Um, so now we're in the girls' room, and Nev Campbell hears some mean girls in the stall saying that she just made up the whole attack for attention. Ah, uh, yes, it's time for the exposition off. It's time for the exposition off, and it's also time to hear words that have never come out of a blonde cheerleader's mouth ever in the history of blonde cheerleaders. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. No teenager speaks like this. No None. One. There's a lot of moments where, like, the, the movie flirts with, okay, this isn't how teenagers speak, but it's just realistic enough where you're like, okay, it's a movie, I'm not going to be pedantic about it, but this scene is like, okay, they... This scene was actually really difficult to get through for that very reason. Yeah, so Nev Campbell hides in a stall as the two mean girls leave their stalls. Cheerleader starts to wonder if Nev Campbell killed Drew Barrymore because she was jealous about Steve and got her mom's skank gene, essentially. Yeah, I didn't understand it. And then they talk about how she's also probably suicidal, but then realized that murder was like a better release of these emotions. Hang on. This line was so ridiculous, I wrote it all down. Okay, please. I'm just going to zone out while you say this, though, because it's that incredibly just... Listener, listen to this line and wallow in its ridiculousness. The cheerleader says, think about it. Her mother's death leaves her disturbed and hostile in a cruel and inhumane world. She's delusional, where's God, etc. Completely suicidal. One day she snaps. She wants to kill herself, but she realizes that teen suicide is out this year and homicide is a much healthier therapeutic expression. And imagine a blonde cheerleader said that. No. No, movie. No. So the mean girls leave and Ned Campbell is now alone at the sinks. Or is she? (gasps) (laughs) 
Because she hears whispers of Sydney. She hears whispers of Sydney, and she looks under the stalls and sees a pair of boots come down to the ground, and then Ghostface's robe. Oh, shit. And as he bursts out to try and stab her, she ninja slides under him. Bathroom floors are not this slippery. <laughs> Depends how much you peed on them. Still, they are not <laughs> this slippery. This thing has been waxed to a very <laughs> fine level, man. So in effects, there's a thing that you can use like for teeth and stuff. It's dental acrylic, and it comes as a powder. And then there's this liquid that you do, and it hardens up and all that. But as a powder, it basically reduces all friction. And so in school, we called it ninja dust, because if you ever needed to make a quick escape, you'd throw it behind you. <laughs> <laughs> and no one would be able to chase you. There was some fucking ninja dust on this floor with the way she slid. Like, not even a good mop job is going to get you to this level. <laughs> no, no amount of buffing that floor. But yeah, like, ninja very accurately describes a lot of how Nev Campbell reacts <laughs> to Ghostface attacking her in multiple scenes. <laughs> And so she manages to get out the bathroom. This was crazy. So since this is a second floor bathroom that only had one exit, uh, the police being outside the school, they were able to surround the building and the bathroom. They caught the killer. And I don't remember the movie ending here. I remember there was like a whole thing where Jamie Kennedy was talking oh, about yeah, how well, people Oh, yeah. Well, Nick, you see, the reason that doesn't happen here is because she doesn't tell anyone. She runs out of the bathroom and then slows to a casual stroll to go down the stairs well yeah because you know she saw a teacher in the hallway just outside this bathroom and didn't want to be you know yelled at for running in the hallway okay rather than running up to the teacher and going the killer's here in the bathroom yeah can you responsible adult maybe keep watch while i get the police well no because the teacher would have been like look you're 25 why don't you do something about it <laughs> Um, I believe I used the word responsible before adult there. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, I'm a 25-year-old still pretending to be a high school junior or senior <laughs> who is unable to drive herself around town, still takes the school bus, doesn't have her license. So outside, uh, Courtney Cox intercepts David Arquette, uh, starts putting the moves on him. Just as Henry Winkler cancels classes over the intercom to get them out of the school. And she's kind of fishing for information about what's going on while flirting with him. Okay, yeah, this is... I have mixed feelings about this scene because it is incredibly cringy and it's absolutely supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, like, are you a viewer? My my normal demographic is young men age, ages 18 to 24, you know? And like, he's oh, 25. 20. So he's just outside of the demographic. What we do here learn is that uh, they still haven't found Nev Campbell's dad, so he hasn't been ruled out as a suspect. That's the, the yeah, plot he's sharing Dewey's sharing way too much information here. Oh, it's gonna get worse. <laughs> it's gonna get worse later in the movie. Every single thing that David Arquette does in this movie is to accentuate just how naive his character is. Yeah. Just how naive, inexperienced, and we talk about how he doesn't get a lot of respect. He sure as shit hasn't earned any, so. He tried to get respect by working out and getting buff to counteract his boyish face, but uh, yeah, maybe also be a good cop while you're at it. Yeah. 
And so as he heads back inside, he says, I must say, Miss Weathers, because her, her the character, Courtney Cox's character's name is Gail Weathers. <laughs> Which gets a lampshade laid on it later in the movie. So well done. Well done, movie. He says, I must say, Miss Weathers, you're much prettier in person. Oh, so you do watch the show. It's like, yeah, I'm 25. You know, I was 24 for a whole year. And that's called flirting, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> well, clearly this flirting worked, John, because Courtney Cox and David Arquette would later be married. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> About three years later, they would be married. But this also works in the other way where Gail is an asshole and knows she has her hooks in him and she can use this to her advantage. It is very obvious on her face and he is just in puppy love. He just doesn't see it. So outside, Matthew Lillard is so stoked that Nev Campbell got school canceled by getting attacked by a killer. <laughs> yeah, it's like, man, I don't know what you did, but we're not having to go to school anymore. I almost yeah, died, Matthew. It, it, that's, it, why it, yes, that's why there's literally <laughs> makes it her fault. So again, her friends are assholes. Well, I mean, Matthew Lillard is an asshole. Like he's been established as an asshole. I didn't realize Rose McGowan was a low key asshole. J.B. Kennedy, despite everyone hating his guts is the least assholey of them. Yes, but least asshole still makes you an asshole. <laughs> Fair enough. So I don't do shots and martinis anymore. I just stick to the Mike's Lemonade. like, <laughs> you're still an alcoholic. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And you got to drink way more of that Mike's Hard Lemonade to get that same buzz. Yeah, he's basically, Matthew Lillard's like, cool, let's do, let's do a party at my place. Let's, let's do it. So party at Matthew Lillard's place. Now we get Henry Winkler alone in the school because everyone's been sent home. He's playing with the mask he confiscated from the pranksters. But here's the thing. During that scene, he cut up the masks. With right. the super sharp pointy scissors as he's chewing them out, he cut up the mask. I meant to mention it then, but yes. Yeah, so the mask that he's looking at as he's like, you know, goofing around in front of the mirror pretending to be Ghostface is intact. It is an intact mask. Okay, theory? This one was left in the girl's bathroom. But then the cops suck even harder than <laughs> if they're giving him evidence, so... <laughs> It's Dewey, man. What do you expect? <laughs> he's the only cop we see around the school. Or in most places, yeah. Yeah. And he's not a cop. He's a deputy. Now they got me confusing the terms. Deputy cop on NBC. <laughs> I prefer axe cop, but you know. So anyways, there's a knock at a door. So Nobody's this, there. this scene goes on for way too long, and he has a lot of mirrors and continues to jump scare himself. I liked him scaring himself on multiple occasions. I enjoyed that. I did like that, but otherwise this just kind of goes on too long. Like, there's a knock at the door, and he goes and looks and no one's there. And then it happens again. And then he goes to investigate further. Just do it the first time. Just have him walk out and investigate the first time. But the second time, he answers the door so quickly. There's no way they could have disappeared. There's... There's not a doorway. There's not a trash can to Batman behind. There is nothing. Anywhere they would have ducked to, he would have heard the direction they were going in. But it's silence. There's nothing. He just evaporated. They left their boots in the bathroom also. They're just <laughs> socks sliding around. Super ninja powers here. So he goes through like the secretary pool through to the hallway like, you little shits. And then you hear a voice say, what did you call me? No, not you, Fred. And this is where Wes Craven decides to do a cameo. Yep. Wes Craven is Fred the janitor wearing a Freddy Krueger sweater freddy krueger sweater freddy krueger hat big bushy scruffy the janitor from futurama mustache <laughs> 
<laughs> even though this predates Futurama. My note is this cameo is a little much. It's a little much. It's also very brief, though. So he goes back to his office, once again gets scared by his own reflection for the last time, which I get tickled me pink. I'd like to because Henry Winkler plays it so well. I do always like good use of mirrors. And when he comes back in the office, you don't realize that's a mirror shot for a while. Nope. So... Well done. But it turns out that Ghostface was hiding behind the door and jumps out, stabs Henry Winkler to death. Now we hear School's Out for Summer by ACDC being blasted from speakers up on a window. Because this movie has not been on the nose enough. Nope. But also, my note here is like, oh man, as Bluetooth speakers become more popular, like this way of listening to music is kind of going to go the way of the dodo. Yeah, but don't worry, because there's plenty of people who'll just have their phone on speaker and blast their music anyway, so... Yeah, I know, but there's just something special about the, you're chilling outside, you put the speakers next to the window, and you're all hanging out. So Rose McGowan tells Nev Campbell that it was possible her mother was just having an affair with Liev Schreiber, and there were also rumors that she was banging other dudes too. And her line here is, because Nev Campbell's like, you can't honestly believe all this, and she's like, I mean, you can only hear that Richard Gere gerbil story so much many times and then you have to start believing it and no you don't rose mcgowan no you don't all you have said right now is you're confirming the tell a lie big enough enough times or that you are willing to believe outrageous things without proper evidence. Again, just because you keep hearing it over and over again. So now Nev Campbell is really doubting herself because if Liev Shriver is innocent, then the killer is still out there. And this is where... <laughs> and that's where Captain Obvious shows up and tips his cap to the camera. <laughs> Well, no, because Rose McGowan is like, don't think like that. You know, this is, you know, this isn't some Wes Carpenter flick. Right. And she's like, look, we have a long night ahead of us. And oh boy, do you. And then, then, yeah, this is when you just see Ghostface running around the bushes behind them. Like what? (laughs) Ghostface is moving in a tactical fashion through Woodsboro. He is definitely tacticaling. He would only be tacticaling harder if his robes were camo. <laughs> no, no, but actual hunter's camo where it's like black, white, and bright orange. <laughs> <laughs> He's got the cap on. <laughs> it's just Ghostface as is with a bright orange cap and vest. It's like the people. Oh. Um... <laughs> God, and I've worked with a few who do like, you know, a labor job. And so they wear camo, but they also have to wear the high vi- vis <laughs> safety equipment. So it's like, yeah. do you want to be seen or not, dude? Which one is it? Oh, uh, it's ridiculous. Now I'm just imagining Ghostface doing his own theme music. But again, it has to be Bojo <laughs> Jojo's voice. <laughs> be very quiet. I am hunting rabbits. <laughs> <laughs> I just I am on a secret mission. And on that note, we're going to take a break. Uh, are any of these teenagers going to survive this movie? Are we going to be getting multiple movie references per second going forward? Well, you're just going to have to find out right after the break. Young lady, what do you think you're doing? I, I, I... You know there's no running in the hallway at school. No, no, you have to help me. The killer, he's here. He he just tried to stab me in the bathroom. Well, you know what's the real killer? Unsafe conduct in the hallway. That's how we lost little Timmy McPherson back in 82. Uh, are you serious right now? 
Ghostface killer who murdered Drew Barrymore and possibly my mother is right here at school. And instead of getting one of the dozens of cops surrounding the place, you're lecturing me about running. See, that's what's wrong with your generation. No responsibility. It's all the damn rap music, MTV, and Nintendos. Uh-huh, yeah. Would you please just do your job? Can you do your job so you keep the rest of us safe? Uh-huh, can you just do that? Right, like your generation knows anything about having a job. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I think I saw some girls smoking pot in the bathroom. Marijuana? Now that's a gateway drug to becoming a crack whore. I'll put a stop to this. Asshole. I'm sorry, what was that? I gotta go. Okay, be safe now. No more running. Ow, my lungs. <laughs> and we're back, and we're going to start this scene off with a close-up of the old 30s Frankenstein movie, just so we can juxtapose the old horror and the new horror that we're watching. And we're now in another dated artifact from the 90s. The video rental store! Oh my god. Uh... I miss it and also don't miss it. I saw a, a photo of a, you know, a, a vacant, torn down one, and the caption said, when you need ruins for your modern day D&D setting. <laughs> so, Jamie Kennedy works here, and Matthew Lillard is like, hey man, it's like super busy in here, what's going on? And apparently there's been a run on the mass murder section of the video store. Uh, why does a video store have a mass murder Yeah, normally section? it's just regular genre, so... Yeah, like, there's horror, there's... Nope, we have a whole genre here at the video store called Mass Murder, and there's been a run on it in light of recent events. <laughs> it's just all horror movies, so now we have Monster, Slasher, Mass Murder... <laughs> So a random girl asked Jamie Kennedy, uh, what's the horror movie with E.T.'s mom in it? And he knows immediately. Well, at least she didn't come up and ask for that one with that lady. She gave him something to work with, and man, he knows his movies. Right, but that's I forget what it, I forget what it was. I should have written it down. But like he knows it. He's like, uh, oh yeah, the it's, there. it's over in the horror section. The howling, yeah, it's the howling. And I was just like, ah, uh, before IMDb, all we had was our local video store guy. Sometimes they're Jamie Kennedy. Sometimes they're Randall Graves. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes they're quentin tarantino sometimes they're my brother my brother's first job is at a video store in south africa jamie kennedy's pretty sure that skeet ulrich is the killer and you're right jamie kennedy you will turn out to be correct in this regard uh you just wouldn't have guessed that matthew lillard is also the killer well he does kind of throw around the everyone's a suspect he does but he's like laser focused on there because just because he's been accused and he's like it's likely that it's been him and matthew lillard's okay but if he's the killer why would he try and kill his girlfriend to which jb kennedy replies well there's always a reason to kill your girlfriend and that is when we are finally introduced to the hero of this movie john out of focus blonde extra behind <laughs> jb kennedy because she hears him say this gives him the stink eye yes. looks behind herself looks back shakes her head and walks away she is the hero we deserve and need and i want to know her story i want her to get her own spinoff i just like out of focus blonde extra you are my hero 
But yeah, like Jamie Kennedy throws out a lot of quote unquote evidence based on horror movies, but a lot of his reasoning is, well, just look at the guy. (laughs) (laughs) And he's dumb enough to go stand in the horror section after being accused of murder. Yeah, he's like, look, look, that's the beauty of all this simplicity. If you get too complicated, you lose your target audience. Audience that's watching this movie, we're keeping it simple. It's definitely going to be him. Don't worry about it. Yeah. They're weaving this intricate movie within a movie meta narrative, but don't worry, we're keeping the rest of it simple. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna keep for you brain dead MTV addled home viewer. We're gonna keep it simple for you. So Matthew Lowe's like, cool. So what's uh what's Skeet Ulrich's reason for wanting to kill Nev Campbell? And he's like, Well, maybe just she doesn't want to have sex with him. And it's like, okay, look, Jamie Kennedy, I'm gonna need you to stop explaining the end of the movie at the midpoint. <laughs> I'm gonna need you to like not fuck, are we only at the midpoint right now? <laughs> Jesus. We are basically basically only at the midpoint but i think it, it gets a little faster from here because we like all the setup is gonna now now everything just starts paying off so clearly jamie kennedy's getting a little too close to hope so matthew Lewis suggests well hey maybe the dad did it you know he's you know he, yeah nobody's heard from him and jamie is like nope he's dead the cops should watch prom night it, there's a formula it's a very simple formula he says it way too loud so everyone hears and then skeet Ulrich comes up behind him gets in his face like well how do we know that yeah you're and this not is the sort killer? of the yeah you're right to suspect me we're all suspects and by you saying that, you make your, you're automatically less of a suspect, whereas Matthew Lillard and Skeet Ulrich are trying to deflect from themselves. And then Matthew Lillard, I love this moment. He's like, well, what's your motive? And he says, while well, flicking Jamie Kennedy's earlobe. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and he says, it's the millennium. Motives are incidental. No, Jamie Kennedy, it's 1996. Uh, well, it's not the no, millennium No, it was yet. coming up, and at least in America, that was definitely a thing. Not just the Y2K bug, but just everything was like the world was going to end and it's the millennium and everything's going to change. And maybe it was more in America and South Africa. I think it only be like as oh, the millennium you had sense? F- approach, like the later years. You had sense? What? <laughs> We had sense and Aww. sensibility. Um, so no, I, no, no. What I meant was like, you know, as we got closer to the millennium, then we, you know, it became more of a topic of conversation, but not in 1996. Oh yeah, even in 96. The doomsday predictions, Nostradamus shit was all over the place. So now we see the town closing down in preparation for curfew. And, um, and this it, makes no fucking sense. It is 3 p.m. okay i had it as 2 p.m but yes curfew is set for nine and businesses are closing yeah they're closing they got their curfew signs up and what the hell yeah this is madness (laughs) it's the town is empty people are grinding their last coffee and so nev campbell and rose mcgowan are getting party snacks in a convenience store and fucking skeet ulrich has gotten so deep into nev campbell's head that she's now more worried about about him not getting laid than she is about her own trauma. Does this count as gaslighting? I mean, I know it tends to be more of um, like making someone think they're crazy. It's more, it's it's manipulative for sure. It's manipulative like, hey, look, you're overblowing your trauma. No, the fuck she's not. And because he wants something from her that she's not getting, giving him sex because of her trauma. So instead of being a good person and being understanding and whatever, because he's a malignant narcissist. Okay, so just just malignant narcissistic manipulation. Not not exactly gaslighting, though. Yeah, because he, he's not trying to convince her of something that's untrue and making her think she's crazy for it. But he is making her feel like she's being a bitch for not fucking him, which is 
horrible. Uh, and then we get a ghost face reflection jump scare. Just He's just running around the fucking store. No one's like, hey, man, why are you wearing that costume? Is that a real knife? Like, there's none of that. <laughs> hey, man, too soon. Like, they just got stabbed. Right? So now we're at the police station, sheriff's office department, whatever, um, because the sheriff slash chief of police, don't think about it too hard, has updates about the phone records. Uh, turns out the cell phone that called Nev Campbell and Drew Barrymore was Nev Campbell's dad's phone. David Arquette's like, yeah, but the number could have been cloned, right? And the chief says... Nothing in response. He just keeps talking about whatever the fuck he was talking about. <laughs> but I love just the character work in this exchange between them because it still shows David Arquette as like childish and incompetent because the chief is smoking a cigarette and David Arquette has an ice cream cone. And every time <laughs> the chief takes a drag on his cigarette, Arquette eats his ice cream. So it's like mimicking someone's behavior. You know, to get him to respond with you. But he's doing this incredibly childish thing. <laughs> yeah, it is a strawberry ice cream. <laughs> a strawberry soft serve. We get more damn kids these days. Talk from the sheriff. Like, okay. And they're going to keep an eye on the dad. But David Arquette needs to keep an eye on Nev Campbell. And now it's party time. And everyone in this town has a huge fucking house, right? They all have these palatial yep. country houses. Well, inside this palatial country house, uh, we have some youths who are youthing youthfully. Weirdly enough, the town that I lived in in Indiana, like if you were in town, it was, you know, small houses and neighborhoods with yards. But as you got out to the cornfields, it tended to be larger houses. Not this large, but still sizable to where people would come over and be like, oh, shit, you live in this one. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Like you get out of the town, it's less dense. You have more room to build out, I guess. And property's cheaper. Put that money into your house. So outside, Courtney Cox and the camera guy sneak their van up near the house. Uh, we get a David Arquette jump <laughs> scare. the news van tacticals up to the party for reasons. It's <laughs> sneaky sneakies. <laughs> Just like you see the van sneaking with like a machine gun, like it's got camo paint on. And a bright orange hat. <laughs> so David Arquette tells Courtney Cox that he's keeping an eye on things and, hey, do you just want to come inside and check the party? Like, you want to come with the me? The only way this van could be more tactical is if it was playing Ice Cream Man music. <laughs> Turkey in the straw is a tactical maneuver. Yeah, he totally just invites her into the party and everyone's like, what the fuck? And he's just like, chill, everyone. She's with me as if he's some big shot that they all respect. Well, no, he's like just pretends to be the cool cop. And before they go inside, Courtney Cox gets a sneaky, sneaky uh, spy cam from Kenny, the camera guy. Jesus Christ. How does no one see this? She might as well have put like, I don't know. It's a, what do you call it? Is it um, not a monocle, but a monocular, unocular? It's not quite a telescope, but it's just a handheld for one eye, but really boxy. It's basically an old school security camera. And she sets it on top of the VCR and they're watching movies all night and no one fucking notices this thing for the entire movie. Yeah, but they were drinking. I don't care. There would very much be a, hey, Matthew Lillard, why do you keep a camera on top of your VCR? Like if I was drunk, that's a question I would ask. Normally I'd be just like, oh, he set his camera down. But if I was having some beers, I'd be like, dude, why do you keep your camera on the VCR? Well, apparently they were too drunk to see yeah because she like stands like in front of it like sneaks it behind her and slides it onto the the tv stand 
what's the point of the spy camera? Because she thinks like, oh, yeah, this is going to help me get the big scoop. But all it's going to do is provide the court evidence that you committed a crime. You can't just put cameras in people's houses without their permission. That's illegal. But yeah, speaking of illegal, and as Nick touched on with David Arquette playing himself as the cool guy, he grabs one of the kids' beers and he's like, you're underage. Ha ha, here you go. No one's driving. Yeah, pin in that. So now Rose McGowan goes out to get Matthew Lillard a beer from the garage. And John, you're the full American on the podcast today uh, and most days. I'm going <laughs> to need you to explain garage fridges to me. Why the fuck do you put it out all the way in the garage? I'm not exactly sure. And this is from someone who had garage fridge in several homes. Maybe it's just the way the house is wired. Like the kitchen is set up to handle that kind of current and most rooms aren't. And garages tend to have a hell of a lot of outlets. It tends to be like maybe where you put in a, a wood shop, you know, or something like that. And so that's maybe just what the circuits can hold. They can hold that kind of power. That's my best guess. I really don't know. But yeah, garage fridges are definitely a thing for if you have extra drinks or groceries or whatever. Yeah, like having a fridge for drinks, I get. We had one in South Africa, but it was next to the fridge in the kitchen. And another thing is like the garage or and spilling out into your driveway would be where parties would often happen. So instead of having to go all the way into the house and through to the kitchen, you have easy access. But that's also what coolers are for. So... I don't know. I just needed an American to explain it to me. I, I can't explain it, but it's definitely a thing. <laughs> it's just always been a thing so much. I, it's one of those you, you never thought about, to be honest. Yeah, she's grating some beers out of the garage fridge. By the way, she's going because Matthew Lillard asked her to go grab him a beer, but she's just like She's getting beers them. for everyone? Yeah. Yeah. Just carry the box in. <laughs> but she did, and she's like, you know, got like six beers like slung in her arms, and someone closes the door. We get a cat jump scare, just so we know that there's a cat door to this garage. That's true. And she's locked in, and then the lights go out, so she's like, oh, well, I'll just open the garage and go outside, but as she tries to leave, somebody closes the door behind her, and it's ghost face how did he get it not mojo jojo because he's completely silent this time all right so head cannon the door was not locked when she tried it he was holding the handle on the other side i like that explanation and then heard the garage door go up and it was like oh she's making some footsteps so now i can slip out while she's faced the other way i like that i'm gonna i'm just gonna accept that cool and she's like turns around she sees him is not freaked out by the way she's like is that you, Randy, Jamie Kennedy? Because both her and Nev Campbell are convincing that, convinced that Jamie <laughs> Kennedy's trying to fuck with them. <laughs> and she's like, oh, you want to play Psycho Killer? Do you want me to play the helpless victim? And he's just like, he's just nodding like, yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a great moment. It's like, oh, no, please don't kill me. I want to be in the sequel. <laughs> Yeah. And she refers to this scene as I spit on your garage, which is an amazing <laughs> shout out. So good. Oh, this is such a great scene. And again, for, for anyone who's unaware, there was a late 70s horror movie called I Spit on Your Grave. And that's what this reference is. They also remade it in the 2000s, but fuck that. Yeah, fuck that. It was a thing before this movie. And so he's not playing. He slashes her in the arm. And this is the cheapest 
easiest cut you can make on a person. It's beyond a doubt that you have the knife, which is dull, and on the other side is a little bit of tubing that's already filled with some fake blood, and you have basically like a, a bulb, you know, for like a, a turkey base or things that squirt water in your ears. You have basically something like that in your hand, and so as you move the knife across, you squeeze and put a little line of blood. That is all this is, and it is so Fucking obvious. Yep. Uh, it does look like that is exactly what happened. <laughs> we had more complicated setups for the deaths in West Side Story in high school. <laughs> more complicated in uh, the Adams Family play. Oh, hell yeah, man. That was like Tarantino blood fountains they had going on. <laughs> so she, in this whole scuffle with him, smacks him in the with the fridge door because, again, all the victims get some good shots in. Starts chucking beer bottles. Yeah, this is the slapstick portion of the movie. She knocks him with the fridge, throws beer bottles, hits him in the nuts and the face. So good. And yet he's still able to recover in time to try to tackle her as she goes for the door, but instead somehow she pulls a judo flip, Austin Powers <laughs> judo flip move, because he just goes tumbling over, but successfully blocks the door with his body somehow. And then, just because shit wasn't goofy enough, <laughs> she tries to escape through the cat door. <laughs> Which she absolutely should have. You reckon? She gets her head and both shoulders out the cat door. She does. If you're able to do that, I mean, unless you're a significantly larger person. Which Rose McGowan is not. You can get out. Yeah. And she is definitely not. And even bigger people can squish. If you can get your head and shoulders to an opening, chances are you're getting through it no problem. Well, apparently the movie disagrees with you, John, because she gets stuck. Ghostface pushes the garage, and can a garage pull up a whole human's body weight like an automatic garage? Never tried? Well, we're going to have to do some experiments on some people we hate, because she gets pulled up, and her head gets crushed against the framing of the garage door. Yeah, and later when you see her, even though this didn't happen, she only has one arm out. Oh. Just a continuity thing. Anyway. So now because of the curfew, the party the party winds down several times, by the way. <laughs> like, this is the first time it starts winding down. People are starting to leave because of curfew. Yeah, this party goes in waves. It's really weird. And Matthew Lillard's just there to, like, say goodbye to everyone because I think it's Matthew Lillard's house, I guess. Yeah, it's it's his place. Yeah. And he's like, you know, is everyone going? And somebody else, there's nobody here but us chickens. What? <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What does matter is that we get Skeet Ulrich front door jump scare. Mm. And his hair looks kind of mussed up. I don't know. Might be something to that. Definitely not. I don't know what you're talking about. I was in the police station when the phone call happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely nothing to see here. Uh, You want to go have a talk in the bedroom? Let's go have a talk in a bedroom. So him and Nev Campbell go to have a talk in a bedroom. Jamie Kennedy's bummed out by this because, you know, now he's not going to get his chance with Nev Campbell. And Matthew Lillard's like, yeah, bro, as if. Yeah, yeah. That was never in the cards, dude. Come on. No. And so back in the van, Kenny the camera guy turns on the spy cam. Again, the timing of this whole sequence is so weird because he's only now turning on the spy cam in the TV room. Courtney Cox is now just leaving the party. And he says there's a delay of about 30 seconds. How does he know there's a delay of 30 seconds? Well, he doesn't. He just pulls that number directly out of his ass. Yeah, there had to have been something they recognized as someone coming in or someone leaving. Maybe she was just coming out the door or something like that. But it was really hard to tell. Although, she's pretty damn impressed with that camera placement. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a great view. Because she did it. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's awesome. And uh, honestly, I'm surprised that she didn't slap the camera guy again out of excitement. I feel like it's <laughs> like, are we going to go for a third time? No, we're not going to go for a third time. So in a secluded bedroom, uh, Skeet Ulrich pretends to apologize for being so selfish. But Nev Campbell cuts him off, saying that she's the one who's been selfish and self-absorbed because of her PTSD. And I'm just going to say this really loudly for the folks at home. You never, ever, ever fucking ever have to apologize about taking care of yourself after a major fucking trauma like, I don't know, your mother got killed. I feel like you don't have to fucking apologize for that. Not you don't feel, you don't have to apologize for that. Motherfuck. Wow, this was like, it was awful to watch. John has no words. So anyways, she's basically... Yeah, I mean, there's... I can can voice my agreement, but there's nothing really to add. Cool. Moving on. So basically, she's come to accept who her mother was, a giant skank, and uh, that she needs to stop wallowing in grief. What? It's been a year. And you know there's only one way to get rid of that grief. The dick. You gotta sex it right on out. Mm, gotta sex that grief. The best way to get over your mother's death is to get under someone else. Mm, Gross, I said that out loud. Very, Anyways. very <laughs> bad. I don't feel so bad for saying the interwebs all of a sudden. Yeah, that's decidedly <laughs> less worse than, uh, than what I said. Uh, but anyway, she seems to suggest that her not wanting to have sex is because deep down she was worried that she was going to be like her mother. Like, that's why she's been so frigid this whole time. It's something about like her life. Like, this isn't real life. This isn't, you know, a movie. This is real life. Ha ha ha. Uh, bingo card. Yep. But then Skeet Ulrich's like, it's all just one great big movie. And you can't pick your genre. Jesus. Yeah. Th- this is right back to the let's talk about our relationship in movie ratings levels of just terrible dialogue yeah she's like why can't i be a my life be a meg ryan movie or even a good porno (laughs) well skeet ulrichs will help you make it a real porno he's like well we can make a bad one i don't care as long as i'm getting some finally just fucking that's the only reason why i've been like pretending to date you for two years because i'm a malignant narcissist fucking douchebag jesus uh so making out ensues also fun fact Wes craven used to work in porn that's how he got his start and he may or may not have been involved in deep throat all right. He refused to say before he died, but he definitely did work in the pornos. Some of the stragglers who didn't go home are watching Halloween. And Matthew Lillard really wants to see Jamie Lee Curtis's boobs, but Jamie Kennedy is like, look, no, we only see them in trading places in 83. You gotta wait for, for her boobs. And it's because she was always a virgin in horror movies. I say, and this is what leads into the other very memorable scene of the rules of the movie. The rules of how to survive a horror movie. Because basically people are like, wait, well, the rules are like, hang on, you guys don't know the rules. He paused this is the movie they're like what the fuck and he's like no no we're fucking sorting this shit out right now you gotta know the rules of how to survive a horror movie to which i have jamie kennedy should have been present in mortal Kombat. <laughs> <laughs> yes a clear and concise set of rules would have definitely made them <laughs> yes that everyone can easily understand and abide by or you know flaunt at their discretion all right so he gets up in front of the tv he lays down the rules one you can never have sex and this just gets booed it's like no can't have sex sex equals death you can't drink or do drugs because, you, again, extension of the first rule, morality. Mm-hmm. Drinking ensues. They're like, well, fuck that, glug. Yeah, to which everyone toasts and has a drink. Then he's like, and you never say, I'll be right back because you won't be. And Matthew Lillard's like, cool, I'll be right back. It's like, no, don't say the thing. You're not, you're going to die. Yep, that was a thing from the trailer. That was definitely a selling point of the thing and letting people know that they were getting into a self-aware horror movie. <laughs> 
but it does it so well. Like, 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 audience, we're making fun of this shit. This is such a good, like, this is on the Millennial Rewind. You should watch this list. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We will get around to making that list at some point. Don't you worry. <laughs> so Someday. So back in the van, Courtney Cox and Camera Guy are watching the scene we just saw, except through the spy cam. Camera Guy's, like, super bored, so he's playing with a <laughs> Cheeto. Yeah, they're commenting on how what a boring-ass party this is, and there's nothing happening. And he is literally playing with a Cheeto. And I honestly expected her to say something or slap it out of his hand, and it doesn't happen. Nope. Instead, we get another David Arquette jump scare, and he's like, hey, I got a call about an abandoned car in the bushes just down the road. You want to you wanna come with me and do police work with me? Oh, uh, yes. Cox? More flirting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure you're not supposed to invite reporters to investigations, but, you know, fuck me, I guess. And so they are going to walk for some reason. The reason probably be- Because he's got a flashlight. He's got a flashlight. Nothing's going to happen. And uh, the real reason is probably something along the lines of this movie needs them to not be able to get back to the house so quickly if they had a car. Hmm. Just throwing that out as a guess. I, maybe I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Yeah, this movie was surprisingly tight. The very beginning with Drew Barrymore, like, I could not remember why this is there other than to establish there's a killer. And then later, oh shit, Matthew Laird used to date her. Like, it really does all fit together very, very well, much better than I recalled. Again, the timing of this whole, like, house party sequence is really off because Nev Campbell and Skeet Ulrich don't have their clothes off at this point. We've seen, like, a bunch of stuff happening. Yeah, he's kind of dry humping, dry humping her over the clothes while they're making out. Yeah. And now the shirts are finally starting to come off. Jamie Kennedy picks up the phone and learns that uh, Henry Winkler's dead. They found him, like, hanging from one of the football posts. So the straggler dudes are like, yo, we got to go check him out before they cut him down. If Jamie Kennedy got the call at Matthew Lillard's house, why is that a thing? Anyway, haven't they probably already taken him down? Considering how late these cops show up for the end of the movie, <laughs> I don't think their response times are that good. Well, because they were busy dealing with the Fonz. Yeah. There's a very limited sheriff's department here. And the person they made the front man on this case is goddamn Dewey. <laughs> who's off having trying to have a romantic tryst down the road in the woods yeah just have a nice romantic crime scene investigation as one does oh my god and yet this is actually extremely well crafted like as nonsense as this sounds this is extremely well done yeah it is all very tight yeah because they run away these drunk teenagers and go driving so guess dewey they were going to go driving later and now J jamie kennedy's alone so down the road david arquette and courtney cox are getting to know each other dewey was like a childhood name that just kind of stuck and also she's like well i w wish i was taken more seriously but i got a name like gail weathers i sound like the weather girl yeah we figured that out already i'm just kind of glad the movie called it out too and then they almost get run over by the drug teenagers. And as David Arquette pushes her over to the side, they wind up on top of each other. And then she smooches him and he's like, not now. I'm on duty. <laughs> to which then it's suddenly, oh, here's that car we were on our way to find. <laughs> That's convenient. So yeah, the, the it's her dad's, Nev Campbell's dad's car. And it's empty and it's crashed in like a ditch. And oh shit, the dad's here. You know, he's our like, you know, prime suspect. We need to get back to the house. Yeah. 
So back in the bedroom, Nev Campbell and Skeet Ulrich have finished boning. And she asks a very strange question. She's like, hey, so who did you make your one phone call to? One phone call? Yeah, yeah, you know, the one phone call that you get, but we've established. I was gonna nitpick this, but I decided not to. Because what she actually says is, they allow you to have a phone call. It's not a right, it's not a requirement, but hey, you know, they let you have it. So I was, you know, all right, in the world of this movie, which is already playing off of all kinds of other movies, sure, I was letting this one slide. So he says that he called his dad. Oh, no, 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 no. The sheriff did. I saw him. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's why he didn't answer when I called. Yeah, for some reason there wasn't an answer when Billy called, so the sheriff tried later. Something like that. And she's like, huh, very suspicious. Like, look, what do I have to do to prove to you that I'm not the killer? Yes, exactly. This is the point I was bringing up way back when he was yelling at her for not being over her mom's death. She realizes, no, you're not the killer. And here we are again. Because she's going, well, if you'd have called me, it would have been a nice way to, you know, drop suspicion. Jesus, lady, what do I have to do to prove myself? Why are you still so suspicious? Well, you could get stabbed by Ghostface, and that's exactly what happens. Yep. <laughs> you get stabbed by Ghostface. <gasps> or does he? Or does he? I mean, we already spoiled that he's one of the killers. So. Yeah, he's one of the killers. That did No, no, he's they're doing a bit. Which I do have issues with once we get there. I figured you would when he explains what the blood's made of. Yes, I exactly. Yes, yes, yes. We will get there. We will get there. A chase scene ensues, and she's cornered to the attic, which she manages to barricade with a surfboard for a little bit. She tries to escape through a window to get to the news van, but Ghostface breaks in and grabs her, then tosses her down onto a boat, and because she fell and on her back, she broke it and died, which is weird because I remember her surviving the movie. Yeah, somehow this speedboat has a very soft, flat top and not, you know, open air to seats or a windshield that you would, you know, break your spine on. Yeah, because she falls in the passenger, what is the passenger portion. But even if you fell in the passenger portion, those are hard vertical seats. Yes, exactly my point. Snapped your back. So anyways, she doesn't die for reasons. Apparently, they just, that's where they keep the crash pad in the Lillard household. <laughs> yeah, but she rolls <laughs> off and falls onto the concrete and apparently knocks some wetsuits out of the boat somehow because there's wetsuits on the driveway. <laughs> I did not see that. Maybe that explains her fall. She landed on wetsuits. Shut up. It's a movie. <laughs> Uh, and she sees uh, Rose McGowan's corpse just hanging in the, the garage door. Yep, with only one arm. <laughs> with only one arm, apparently. And she runs away. And this is a great moment because Jamie's just, dr- Jamie Kennedy's just drunk on the couch. He's watching Halloween. And it is drunk. He's like, Jamie, look out. No, Jamie. Yeah, it's like as if we haven't been self-aware enough. Jamie, look out. He's right behind you as Ghostface comes in with a knife. Ghostface is about to stab Jamie Kennedy, but he hears Nev Campbell yelling outside, so he decides not to. Couldn't get a quick stab in before he he left. Yeah, so she gets Kenny's attention and jumps in the news van, and then they're watching the scene we just saw. Jamie, look out. He's right behind you. And for some reason, Kenny, the cameraman, has forgotten about the delay. Yeah, because he's going to run in and try and ward or help out Jamie Kennedy. And he's like, oh, shit, the delay. And notices that the front door's open. And so he gets his throat slit. Yeah. And then somehow Ghostface is right in front of him. Like he must have been just to the side of the door or he has Baywatch deliverance dude hiding power where he can just pop up. There's the Baywatch (laughs) reference. 
Yeah, so Nev Campbell tries to slam the door, but she gets lightly stabbed in the shoulder. It looked like she got lightly punched. Like, I didn't even see the knife when this happened, but clearly there's a stab wound later on, so. So she closes the side door and, like, manages to escape out the back of the van while he comes in the side and he she runs towards the house. But to get to the back door, there's, like, a pet hatch? For some reason. Yeah, I don't know what that's about. I, I don't know I, how it, news fans It was work. sort of just a thing, one, for a bit of tension, and two, Ghostface is able to do that, like, fist slam, oh, darn moment. Yeah. <laughs> As he kind of got stuck and wasn't able to catch her. Yeah. Yeah, so she runs, to actually, she runs towards a barn, I, I think. Because you have to in a slasher movie. Of course. I'm surprised there wasn't a scene in the barn. But so meanwhile, Courtney Cox and David Arquette have made it back to the house. And again, I have in very angry, all caps, trigger discipline. <laughs> <laughs> don't run around. Even even if you expect to be around th- something that you're going to shoot, you don't leave your finger on the trigger because you might jump at something that isn't your target and shoot something that you don't intend to. God damn it. Anyways. um, But again, this is a valid complaint for a hell of a lot of movies and real life, but it's Dewey and he is the most incompetent ever. Fine, fine. I will let it slide that it makes sense for the character, but but folks at home, you keep your finger on the side of the trigger guard until you're ready to shoot, even in a hostile environment. Anyways, tells Courtney Cox to call the sheriff for backup while he goes inside, and no, dude, that's your job. You call the sheriff, and then you go inside. Like, that's how that works. Again, it's Dewey. It's Dewey, but also, like, did also didn't cops in the 90s have personal radios, like the shoulder? Ah, but these aren't cops. These are sheriff's deputies. <laughs> <laughs> didn't sheriff's deputies? Oh, fuck me. So uh, he runs inside, and uh, Courtney Cox does not call the sheriff. Just decides that that's not an important thing to do, given the current circumstances. I mean, it would have fucked up the plot, but no. <laughs> So inside, David Arquette tacticals just slightly better than the commandos in Resident Evil. Just slightly. He's he's going room to room with his gun, trying to clear them. Very slightly. I'll have to say that he does it better because he's a rookie and they are supposed to be highly trained operatives. Yes, for sure. And he gets startled by Jamie Lee Curtis screaming at Halloween. Yeah, that was a great touch. The horror movie's still playing and he's reacting to it as though that's someone actually getting attacked. Yeah, it was a great moment. So Courtney Cox runs to the van, calls out to Kenny the camera guy that she needs the cellular. And sees a tremendous amount of blood pooled around the van. Gets into the van anyway through the blood. For some reason, I took this as she never looked down. Because she's standing in a pool of blood, and she notices blood dripping, but she doesn't seem to look up for where it's coming from or down at the the puddle that she's standing in. I saw it as she saw the puddle and got horrified. She didn't look up. Well, for anyway, sure. she made this huge big deal about asking for the cellular for about 15 seconds, and it's just sitting on the dashboard, lady. Yeah, she gets the cellular. It's one of those like pseudo military radios crossed it's the, the brick 80s. phone. It's a brick phone. It's the brick phone. It's the brick phone with the antenna. And she starts to call 911, but we can't have her call 911 just yet because that would ruin the movie. So we get a Jamie Kennedy jump scare. And she just beats him in the face with the phone. (laughs) It's great. And she notices, so knocks him the fuck out. 
and notices that uh, the windscreen is all covered in some muck. And as she wipes it, she wipes away blood. Then she realizes it. Yep, she drives off scared. Uh, And then Kenny the camera guy's body appears. Okay, but this physics does not make sense. She starts by driving in reverse and slams on the brakes, and that's when the body moves forward over the windshield. That would only happen if she was going forward and slammed on the brakes, and his inertia would have pushed him forward onto the windshield. That is very true. (laughs) She starts off driving backwards, hits the brakes. Kenny's body blocks her view, so she then proceeds to try and drive blindly while yelling at his dead body to please get out of the way. (laughs) (laughs) yeah she like takes a quarter really wildly flings the body off she literally yells at him she's like look i i'm kind of sorry but can you get off my fucking windshield and my note here is oh my god they killed kenny you bastards (laughs) how in the living hell did i not think of that Oh my god. I'm not gonna lie, John, I'm slightly disappointed. I'm very, I am exceptionally <laughs> disappointed. I'm just gonna let you finish this movie all by yourself. No, 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 John. You're not going anywhere. You're not leaving me to do this by myself. Screw so... <laughs> you, Nick. I'ma have a beer. <laughs> so courtney cox drives off uh she always hits nev campbell who's in the middle of the road so courtney cox veers off the road and crashes into a tree and because she wasn't wearing a seatbelt, she died that follows all right cool so courtney cox is dead no (laughs) nev campbell instead of running away returns goes back to the house Uh, David Arquette comes out the front door, but he collapses with a knife at his back. Mm -hmm. So Ghostface appears, yoinks his knife out of what's-his-face's back. By the way, whenever he stabs someone, Ghostface will always clean his knife. He'll always wipe it with his other hand because, you know, he's got to keep it shiny and menacing. And you don't want it to rust. You know, immediately that moisture touches the metal. So here's the question. How many gloves does he have? Because they'll have to keep replacing it because they keep getting saturated with blood and he wouldn't be able to clean it so often. (laughs) Or maybe he's like a weirdo and he just likes the feel of like damp gloves. But the glove would still be saturated. It would not clean as well. That's my point true but at some point you don't have to absorb it if it's saturated you just need it to be able to push the blood off and have it fly off Mm. then like a squeegee yeah but gloves don't work like squeegees (laughs) (laughs) well anyway chases him to the cop car she locks all the doors and these are the old school like post door locks that would pop up you don't really see those in newer models no not so much not so much she looks for the keys but there are no keys Ghostface does a little tap on the window and then dangles them for her. It's beautiful. That's a great moment. And then he like disappears under the car and it becomes door lock (laughs) whack-a-mole because he's opening the door with the key and she's got to go slam down the the car locks to prevent him from coming inside. Not nearly as long as you would expect it to. She hits the passenger side. She kind of makes sure she's got pressure on the driver's side. And then from this shot, you just see the back hatch slowly open. Oh, so good. So good. And that happens as she does Courtney Cox's job for her and tries to radio into the cop station (laughs) that, you know, they need to come up there. But Ghostface comes inside, and so she's got to make her escape. She managed to reach someone. This is where I'm at. This is where the shit's going down. We need someone out here. He's trying to... Ah! 
But here's the crazy thing. She, th- but, but I don't think that's what gets the cops there because as we'll later, she'll later do, she will call the cops at some point. So the cops just hear, oh, I need help. I need help. Oh my God, I got over the radio. They're like, that's ah, nothing. But you call 911 and they will get there when the light comes up, you know, after dawn. I'm going to go back to Resident <laughs> Evil and quote that the locals are notoriously inefficient. <laughs> <laughs> yep this is this goddamn this movie for proving resident evil right <laughs> she runs up and she gets startled by jamie kennedy who comes from outside how why is he outside he's wandering limping around how did he get a limp there's a whole mess of questions unclear. i have about him unclear but it's enough to you know make her doubt and so maybe he's the killer and also, nobody trusts him, even though out of their gang of assholes, he's probably the least assholish and trustworthy, as right. we have established. And then Matthew Lillard comes st- stumbling up. Yeah, and so uh, Nev Campbell, not knowing who to trust, grabs David Arquette's gun out of his holster. Why is his gun in his holster? We saw him walking around with it out. So did he get stabbed and be like, oh, I should probably put my gun away. Ooh, that's going to hurt. Mm, I got to focus on the pain here. Um, Let's see. He got stabbed and knew he would not be able to keep it in a fight. So he put in his holster and snapped it secure because evil can't penetrate that seal. I don't know. It was a good attempt. I'm going to give you A for effort on that If we had watched the craft first, maybe I'd have a better explanation. Who knows? So she's like, fuck you both. Grabs a gun, locks them both outside. Incredibly smart move in this horror movie. And then, holy shit, Skeet Ulrich isn't dead because he comes out and starts stumbling down the stairs. And look, we know that he's the killer. Like, you know, we, we will learn that he's the killer. We know that he's doing a bit. But if you take a tumble down the stairs to show that you're still weak and almost dying, that is some commitment, and that's going to earn you some trust points. But I'm not sure why you would risk such a horrible injury. Yeah, I was about to say, you might also earn yourself a broken mm-hmm. neck on top of all of that. Neck, so. hip, ribs, just about anything can get yeah. fucked up in that kind of a fall. So maybe you don't do that. Like, again... A for commitment, F for practicality. That's kind of this whole movie in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> so Skeetle Rick takes the gun from her. He's like, let me have the gun. I'm going to sort this out. She trusts him way too fucking quickly and lets Jamie Kennedy in. And then he drops the whole act and shoots him in the shoulder while quoting Psycho. And not only is it a, a bad move from a trust standpoint, let's say that his situation actually was, you know, true. Are you going to give the person who's weak and bleeding out control of the firearm to, you know, in the life or death situation? Or someone who could maybe, you know, aim properly? Yeah, but you see, John, uh, he's the one with the penis, so he's got he's to gotta handle it. <laughs> I was just thinking of something along that line. It was just like, you know, yeah, but she's a woman, so she's obviously not capable of, you know, the situation. Yeah. Yeah. This movie, like it, it, yeah, this movie, like it does is very like girl power for most of it, but it does have these moments at, like where it's like, mm. but then again, mm-hmm. she's in an emotionally, she's in a manipulative relationship. So that also kind of makes sense. And she is definitely in a moment of, I mean, of course, incredible distress. People are getting murdered all around her and you don't know who to trust who not to you did see him get stabbed and a lot of a lot of shit going on yeah yeah a lot going on it's it's pretty easy to not make rational decisions so so this is where skeet ulrich reveals that it's the blood is just corn syrup like they used yeah. in carry yeah 
Yeah. John, why, why, what's your beef with corn syrup? Nothing intrinsically. It's commonly what gets used for blood. The whole problem is that as it goes on, that they're going to stage this as a mass murder that her dad did, and they are the survivors, complete with giving themselves injuries. Issue being, he's covered in corn syrup right now. <laughs> so was the plan after stabbing themselves to go wash up? And then recover in blood? Because anyone is going to be like, hey, why the fuck are you covered in corn syrup? Also, when Nev Campbell helped him up from falling down the stairs, you would obviously notice that he's in sticky syrup. That does not follow at all. I have to move to the other side of the room because I'm shouting about this shit. (laughs) Yeah, it would have smelled like corn blood if he looked down his shirt, would have noticed he didn't have any real wounds. He would have smelt sweet. It was a whole thing. Yeah, it's fine to suspend your disbelief as an audience member, but if you're trying to convince someone who is in physical contact with you that this is actual blood, corn syrup is not the way to go. Yeah, this is not the only way their plan is not going to make sense. We'll get to it. But it is a shining star. (laughs) (laughs) So Matthew Lillard comes in and does the uh, ghost face modulator bit. And this is where we get to learn firsthand that neither of their voices were the actual voice on the phone. Because they do not sound like ghost face through the voice modulator. Yeah, it's very much their voice and a very lightly... Like, superimposed other voice. Too lightly. They could have done it a bit better. Yes, exceptionally lightly. Or they could have ADR'd the ghost face voice over it. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) That would have been so much better, because it's clearly not either of their voices. Anyways. Oh my god, can you imagine Matthew Lillard and Skeet Ulrich talking like Mojo Jojo? That is the movie we needed. I'm gonna add this to um, to my list of ridiculous shit I would pay money to see. (laughs) I'm going to add that to my list. So they quarter Nev Campbell in the kitchen for some bad guy monologuing. Yes. Oh, my God. My note here is, with punctuation, so much monologuing. (laughs) But here's the thing. It actually makes sense in the world of the movie because, you know, Skeet Ulrich is a malignant narcissist. He wants her to know how fucking clever he is. Them shoving it in her face makes sense for their psychology. This is the one time. Finish your point, please. Okay. At least for Skeet Ulrich, uh, Matthew Lillard, when we learn about his motivations, are a little less solid. But for Skeet Ulrich, this makes so much sense. Part of the joy that he's gotten out of all these murders is fucking with his victim. So he gets to fuck with the victim and brag about how fucking clever he is and how he's going to get away with all this, which is very typical narcissistic behavior. Except he starts this monologuing with referencing Hannibal Lecter and Norman Bates and how it's always scarier when there is no motive and then proceeds to give his motive, which is actually the fact that Sidney's mom was in fact, um, you know, a slut and slept with his dad and that's what broke up their marriage. And so they framed Lee Schreiber after going on a rant about how you don't need to have a motive to do crazy fucked up shit. Let me tell you my motive. I think the movie knew that that would not be satisfying to the audience. They knew. I think it would be much more satisfying. Yeah, because this is a bullshit reason, for sure. Like, hey, give them a motive, you know. But we need to wrap up that plot point. Right. That's a weak motive for murder. You were just looking for a motive to kill people. (laughs) 
which seems to be more of Matthew Lillard sort of thing. He's just into this whole idea, and you know they got to kill his ex first. Yeah, so he's just a bored '90s guy. Like he just gets off on this, and he's super excited about how everyone's going to die. And uh, this is around the time they reveal that they've kept Sydney's dad tied up and duct taped and everything. And their genius plan for framing him is putting both the cell phone and the voice modulator in his shirt pocket. Yeah. And later they're going to shoot him to make it look like he killed himself. But the shirt pocket? Really? Matthew Lillard touched the modulator and the note with his fingers, so his fingerprints are all so over So did Billy. Them. So did Billy. So their prints are all over it. And the gun. And the gun. And... <laughs> like it- <laughs> It falls apart in so many ways. They're going to shoot him point blank to make it look like a suicide. They're going to get blood splatter from him on their clothes. And... But that's okay, because they're going to do laundry first, because they're already covered in corn syrup. (laughs) Yeah, apparently the laundry is a part of this evil plan. After we've stabbed each other to start bleeding out. But also, one last thing about the dad and how their plan falls apart, they're going to take the duct tape off of him, and the duct tape impressions and residue are going to be on the body. They're going to figure out this was a fucking frame job so easily. Oh. But it's easily explainable because midnight has struck and now it is at the anniversary of her mother's death. And so dad just snapped, man. Dad, dad just, just snapped. snapped. Even though the other murders took place days beforehand, he just snapped this one night. Don't think about well, it. Well, he couldn't, as the night approached, he you know lost his grip more and more. So Anyway, speaking of dumb ideas, like the this, this frame job, yeah, as you were mentioning, Matthew Lillard and Steve Ulrich start stabbing each other to make they look like they were attacked. And Steve Ulrich stabs just a, a little too deep. You said Steve Ulrich. Steve Ulrich, God damn it, Kalibri, Cabrini Green. Skeet Ulrich stabs a little too deep. But not only that, he keeps fucking stabbing Lillard. Yeah. And he's like, dude, that's enough, man. Knock it off. Ah! He's like, but he's like bragging to people, like, yeah, we're going to survive. You know, we're going to be in the sequel because these days you got to have the sequel. And the writer actually wrote this with the sequels in mind. Screamed, he pitched it as a franchise. And Matthew Lillard is has an uncredited spot as like party guest or something like that in the sequel. He does appear. That's amazing. Yeah, his character dies in this movie, but the actor does appear in the sequel. <laughs> That's such a great touch. Or we don't see Matthew Lillard die. We just see him kind of like lose a lot of blood. He might have survived. I think it's pretty clear. I think it's pretty clear he died. He speaks a lot about getting woozy. So, yeah, Nev Campbell's like, oh, you guys, your damn movies or whatever. It's like, great light here. Don't blame the movies. Movies don't create psychos. They only help psychos be more creative. And he says this while he's stabbing Matthew Lillard, which is great. And uh, by the way, that also applies to video games. Video games don't make you more fucking violent. They've done scientific studies. No correlation between video games and violent behavior. Like, fucking stop it already. So Skeet Ulrich tells Matthew Lillard to get the gun, but it's missing. Where did it go? And right here, asshole, because Courtney Cox has the gun. Okay, what? How the fuck did she get the gun? Because she's pointing the gun from the edge of the hallway, the front, the porch on the front door, because Matthew Lillard goes out to look for it. Okay, so supposedly Matthew Lillard, I don't think we actually saw this, but he left the gun on a counter in the kitchen so that they could get it and finish up the plan. Okay, cool. Somehow, 
Courtney Cox is the most tactical motherfucker we've seen to date because she was able to escape a crash van, walk back to the house, sneak inside, steal the gun, and get back outside? (laughs) Hang on. I'm going to stop this right there. I think we're making the point for the second time she gets the gun. She didn't go back outside. The first time she has the gun, she's just Well, no, she didn't quite make it outside. But it's like, if that's where he left the gun, she took it and then left. Yeah, yeah, and retreated out with it. Yeah, this is some next level. And also by gaining situational awareness and figuring out who the bad guys were. I mean, actually, it's probably really obvious at that point. I'd say it's very obvious at this point. Because while you're creeping in slowly, you had to have heard them divulging their great plan. Very true. So Skeet Ulrich grabs the gun and kicks her so hard, she basically flies down the hallway and collapses on the porch outside the front door. Like, collapses on top of David Arquette. What? It's the start of a beautiful relationship. Yeah, that's where their love really took off. Mm -hmm. And he says to her, you know, menacingly over her passed out body, it works better with the safety off. And I don't think she was trying to pull the trigger. That's not what happened there. You just slapped it out of the way way too quickly. No, she was definitely trying to shoot him and, and panicking that it wasn't working. I definitely read that as... Fair enough. I did not pick on that up on that, but I trust your your observation. But then he does that thing that you have to do in movies: is he trips the safety and then pulls the slide, just you know, just to make sure it's low. Good, because you don't want to like pull the trigger and be like, ah, oh, shit. No, that's you know. <laughs> right. I look like an asshole here. At least he didn't do it immediately before shooting someone. Like he he's getting the gun ready at least. So yeah. He's building this up, and he's about to shoot Courtney Cox, but then Matthew Lillard notices that, oh, fuck, Nev Campbell and Dad are missing. And then the phone rings. (laughs) Such an amazing reversal. I loved this. Because she's on the phone, and she's on the modulator. (laughs) Like, hello, Skeetle Rick. Yeah, so now uh, Sydney is playing Mojo Jojo. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, she is. And there is a famous ad-lib moment at, at the end of this conversation because Skeet Ulrich gets really pissed off about this. You know, the tables have turned, their victims are gone, the plan is falling apart, and he flings the phone and hits Matthew Lillard in the back of the head. Yes. And because he's been whining and complaining and everything, he's like, give me the phone, you dick. Totally off the cuff. That was not supposed to happen. He was not supposed to get hit in the head. It's just a response he did in the moment, and it's fucking perfect. But it's so great because while Skeet Ulrich is raging and like he literally goes and cuts a couch open and tars and feathers himself. <laughs> yeah. Matthew Lillard gets on the phone and starts talking to, to Nev Campbell. And she's like, cool. So now that I've got his motivation, what's your motivation? Like, I don't know. Peer pressure, maybe. <laughs> like, I, I think I'm just kind of doing this to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So great. Yeah, he's like passing out from blood loss at this point. Doesn't he say something about like his dad or parents are going to be really mad at him? Yeah, because she's called that one. It's like, oh shit, my mom and dad are going to be so mad. Oh, God, he's so good. He's so, so good. Yeah, he's fucking amazing. He's apparently an amazing person in real life. So that's. He's not the asshole he plays in the movies. Skeetle Rick goes looking for Nev Campbell, but he's got the gun in one hand, but he's holding the knife in another hand. Tactical. Uh, (laughs) Well, what's even more tactical is the absolute fucking insanity of this closet shot or closet inspection, I think I should say. 
Yeah, because he thinks he hears a noise in the closet under the the stairs, and he goes to open it, looks around, completely like, misses he, anything. Yeah, he opens it and looks inside, and then turns to continue his investigation when suddenly... <laughs> Umbrella attack. <laughs> Nev Campbell has put on the ghost face costume and attacks him with a fucking umbrella. <laughs> it is amazing. It is so amazing. It makes no sense. And I love it. I love it so much. Like, I get the stabbing with the umbrella bit. The theatricality seems a little extra. I'm not going to lie. But Nev Campbell, you do you. You get results, and those results are Skeet Ulrich stabbed with a fucking umbrella. <laughs> so Skeet Ulrich's down for the count. She learned from Liam Neeson, theatricality and deception can be powerful weapons, <laughs> but not as powerful as an umbrella to the chest. Definitely not. It is mightier than the sword. So Matthew Lillard comes out, chases her to the TV room. Uh, there's a, they have a bit of a scuffle, and the scuffle ends with her dropping the TV with Halloween playing on it onto his head and electrocuting him. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good he's dead. Because it's like, so is it finally over? We get another Jamie Oh Kennedy. yeah, and his fall was really stupid, so I have this as his second judo flip of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we get a Jamie Kennedy jump scare, and he's like, I never thought I'd be so happy to be a virgin because virgins survived the horror movie and they're in a horror movie. Oh yeah, that was part of their whole monologuing moment is we just had sex so you have to die because that's the rules. Yeah, that was when they were yeah, know, monologuing in the kitchen. So Nev Campbell puts her fingers in one of Skeet Ulrich's stab wounds to try and get him off but it doesn't work. About to stab her and Courtney Cox shoots her from the porch. This makes less sense than the first time she got the gun. Because this would have been next to Skeet Ulrich's body. So she would have had to come in, take the gun. While she's the scuffle tactical, was... man. I'm telling you, she's tactical on a Batman level. While Nev Campbell is just fighting Matthew Lillard, she must have walked past that scene and been like, she's got this. Yeah. <laughs> Grab the gun. Girl power, Gone Nev. back outside <laughs> to the porch just to hang. Hey, you got to check on David Arquette. Got to make sure David Arquette's okay. And then, you know, when the scuffle, I was like, oh shit, I got to go shoot somebody. And now she's got remembered <laughs> to, to take the safety off. Uh, and, and then more calling out of cliches. Oh, this is when the killer seems to be dead and is going to make a nice big attack, which he does start to sit up. Yeah, he's about to do it. And then Nev Campbell Gets grabs shot the gun, right in the fucking sh face. shot in the head. And she says, not in my movie. And it literally just happened. So yes, in your movie, Nev Campbell. Yes, in your movie. And then my next note is, oh, dad, sorry that I totally forgot you in the downstairs closet where I, while I was playing dress up as your own attack. <laughs> because they go to the closet and pull dad who's still taped up <laughs> yeah you had the knife yes well he didn't have the knife Nev Campbell but you had you could have gotten the duct tape off it's duct tape you could tear that with your finger yes. you just left your dad to leave your dad and by the way movies strip of duct tape across the mouth is not effective you can move your jaw and that shit comes right off. Okay. This is why we love John live in the Inland Empire. It is And the guy and... who's made films and worked in effects. <laughs> like, no. But mostly because we need to You gotta wrap. All right, hold on. Well, let me make it Inland Empire for you. Just a strip across the mouth doesn't work. You gotta take the roll and wrap it around a couple times. 
to get, you know, a nice hole. There you go. Millennial Rewind for making fun of your childhood movies and learning uh, sketchy techniques for gagging your victims. That's... <laughs> um, I believe that's called a life hack. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, depending who you are in that situation, it could be an end of life hack. So anyways, the cops arrive. David Arquette gets taken away in an ambulance. And somehow, Courtney Cox has manifested a new camera crew. Yes! Yeah, that didn't occur to me, but this is this is moments later. Right, but now it's dawn. The sun is up. And like up up. Not like, you know, cr- like just sneaking over the horizon. Yeah, it is, yeah, no, this Yeah, this is 5 a.m. Okay. This is the cops took their sweet fucking time getting to this house. And I am pretty sure Courtney Cox would not be doing a news report. I am pretty sure Courtney Cox would be being thoroughly interrogated by the cops about what the fuck just went happened. Yeah, but instead she's doing an intro of I'm on the scene where just moments ago there was a side of grisly murders and it just pans away to a beautiful vista and you hear like, okay, let's go back to the top. Let's run in again. That was good, but I want another one. Like, And that's how we end. And uh, that's a Moby song that's playing on the way out. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I didn't know it, but I was like, I, I need to know the song because it sounds very 90s electronic. And yep, it's a Moby song. Uh, but we got to get Chuck in one last ghost face jump scare because, you know, why not? Because the movie's over. That's why. And yep, that's it. Movie's over. That was Scream. And before we go, of course, as always, we as millennials know that every movie and TV show has a moral. So, uh, John, what'd you learn today? I learned that corn syrup is indistinguishable from real blood that is totally coming out of you. (laughs) I can't tell the difference either. (laughs) I see a red liquid. I just lick it. Ew. And I learned so many things in that category (laughs) that can kill you. That is not a good idea. I've been really lucky so far. And I learned that considering I've had sex, I've drunk alcohol, and I often say I'll be right back by the laws of this movie. uh, I'm already dead. That's what I learned. Fair enough. And before we go, we need to tell you what we're doing next time. So, John, what do the folks at home have to look forward to? We're getting back on track and keeping things festive with one of my favorite holiday movies, Groundhog Day. Ooh, yes. Cult classic. And you got a got a review to get everyone all nice and nice and toasty for it. I have a review with the score of zero. <laughs> Gave Groundhog Day is zero. I'm not going to name names. <clears throat> So-called comedy starring Bill Murray, who's too old, could have been a 10 out of 10, but the writers must have run out of ideas and pretty much told the same story again and again. It's pretty much a scratched record of a movie, but the writers must have run out of ideas and then pretty much told the same story again and again. It's pretty much a scratched record of a movie, but the writers must have run out of ideas and then pretty much told the same story again and again. It's pretty much a scratched record of a movie. <laughs> you see where I'm going. <laughs> Whoosh. The point <laughs> went completely over their head. Well, 
let's let's see how scratch that 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 record is next time and that's our show if you liked it please subscribe if you loved it please share it with all your friends and whether you liked it or loved it we'd appreciate it if you gave us a five-star rating on apple podcasts to help others find us also be sure to like our facebook page and follow us on twitter links to both of those are in the show notes thanks for listening and we'll see you next time for another episode of millennial rewind